Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. A happy new year to all our listeners. Our first anniversary show, we have our final interview of the year with Kevin Phillips from the Blind Eye Film Academy. Not bad there, Graham. <laughs> this is my Welsh pronunciation. Uh, with teenagers Keras and Alfie, who are writing the movie script for a Stephen King story. We will then pause to look back at some of the talented people who have passed away this year and discuss what their work has meant to us. There's a recap of the best movie news we have reported on this year and I bet I get to talk about Mel Bloody Gibson again. Lucy will be giving us her review of the year and her top movies. And then, that moment you've all been waiting for, we present our combined top ten films of the year. It was not an easy decision, especially when Jeff gets into contrary mood. Speaking of contrary, we will end the show with one of Jeff's quizzes. If that doesn't depress you for 2019, nothing will. <music> Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff, and a happy new year to you as I reach across for the last of the mince pies before Neil scoffs it. Wow, what a year! From an idea between the three of us to capture some of our post-film conversations to an international podcast. It has been an amazing journey and we've met many talented people along the way. We started with one mic around a kitchen table and a boiler going off. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks to Graham, we've become almost professional. Well, that's except for Neil's opinions, of course. (laughs) Of course. For me, the highlights have included a night on a film set, the generosity of people who have given us their time for some wonderful interviews, and of course, making sure Graham was fed a continuous supply of Mel Gibson news. Yeah, thanks for that, mate. Hi, my name is Graham. For me, other than Mel Bloody Gibson, it's been a really positive journey in seeing how our listener numbers have grown from 24 downloads for our first show to almost 600 last month. The range of countries that the show is downloaded in is incredible. Our main listenership is in the UK, North America and Australia. However, we have managed to attract people from as far away as New Zealand, Vietnam and India and our neighbours in Ireland, France and Denmark. Don't rush into that about neighbours. It could all change. (laughs) Yeah, that could be all over by March. Uh, Jeff's piece on Hereditary was a big hit in Amsterdam whilst his comments about GCHQ and Russian poisoning in an earlier episode brought us to the attention of the Russian Federation. Putin is great, honest. (laughs) Yeah, we all got to keep saying that. Since then, I've had to set up some censorship rules, so the most demented of Jeff's comments never reach your ears. Seriously, though, putting the show and the shorts together has been real fun, and I have plans to make it sound even more professional during 2019. Hi, my name is Neil, and I'd like to thank you, the listeners, for staying with us despite Jeff. Those that contact us on a regular basis, and I include Phil Foster, Declan Paul, Philippa, Sarah Adam and Phil Stubbs, thank you very much indeed. We hope the show will continue to entertain everyone during the next 12 months. A special thank you to Steve and the Cineworld Cinema Cheltenham for all your time this year. We look forward to reporting next month on what tattoo Steve has had as a result of his Children in Need fundraising. As others have said, it's been great putting these shows together, especially as I now take part in the interviews. Now, before we get to the more interesting parts of the show, Jeff, 
What are the answers to the Christmas quiz? Thanks, Neil. Now, if you can remember that far back in the festive age you're probably in, <laughs> the questions were, what was written on the jumper of the dead terrorists in Die Hard, the ultimate Christmas movie? Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Number two, what was Father Christmas known as in The Nightmare Before Christmas? Sandy Claus. Number three, what does Dan Aykroyd hide in his Santa Claus suit in Trading Places? <laughs> a salmon. I, I didn't get that one. I could, could not remember that. I thought okay. it was just food. It's yeah. a huge salmon stuffed stone. <laughs> it is. Missed it's the it's salmon horrible. completely. Uh, number four. Which Disney film did the creatures watch in the cinema in Gremlins? Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And finally. What is the name of the town in It's a Wonderful Life? Bedford Falls. I hope that wasn't too easy for you. There'll be another quiz at the end of the show, made with you in mind, Festive Neil. Festive Neil. (laughs) Try not to test my festive patience too much, Jeff. (laughs) It's a packed show, so let's move on. Last month, the team went to the Blind Eye Film Academy in Wales to talk to some of the staff and students after we learnt they were writing a script for a Stephen King story called The Stationary Bike. This interview is in two parts. Firstly, we speak to Kevin Phillips, who is one of the main organisers of the Film Academy. Then we talk to Alfie and Keras, the very talented teenagers who are currently writing the script. Over to you, Jeff. Hello, this is your At The Flicks team on our annual outing. We are actually over in Wales. Neil doesn't know what to do with himself. We are in this fantastic old theatre where we're going to be meeting Kevin Phillips of the Blinow Gwent Film Academy. So hi, Kev, and welcome to At The Flicks. Hello, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Ah, thank you very much for letting us in here. <laughs> this is incredible as I look around at all the old posters from films and even something from Cheers. So can I firstly say what an excellent idea the Blinow Gwent Film Academy is? What inspired you to come up with this fantastic idea? We worked on uh, quite a few projects in the past which had a youth influence. And when I come back and actually started working back in Tredegar around about five years ago, we realised that there was a lot of young people that wanted to get involved in film. The idea kind of simmered over a couple of years. Then I worked for a couple of different organisations, one in Cardiff. And what I did notice is that the charges for any type of film training was very, very high, you know, 18, 90, 100 pounds a month. Yeah. But what we realised is that that exclude perhaps a lot of families and a lot of young people in the valleys because, you know, Rainer Gwent and, and the surrounding areas is not known for being a rich area. No, no. So we wanted to set up an organisation which we could run free of charge without any actual fees to students or their families in any single way. So we actually sat down, our staff and come up with the idea of running a new film academy, a free film academy, one of the only free organisations in Wales that does this type of training. That's fantastic. So can we just check in, how long has the academy been in existence? The academy has been going around about six months, just, just coming up seven months, and we've got funding from various different organisations, Children in Need being a big one. You know, we, we just try to do our best for youngsters. Um, we have got free classes within three different sessions. So we do script writing, camera work, work acting, and we got some wonderful tutors here. But at the moment, we've got about 120, 130 children or, or youngsters on our books. Um, and tonight, we're actually doing a premiere of their work. 
And indeed, the, the Academy, although it's only been going six months, has been get, it's very high profile. Looking at your Facebook page, you had people like Princess Anne, Jeremy Corbyn that have been here. Mm. So giving it um, a real credibility, which is fantastic. It's amazing, especially for the youngsters. We, we had a little trip. We got invited to a historical um, archaeological organisation down uh, near Nanticlaw. And they had a royal visit to to the to the site where they're doing some wonderful wonderful digs. Yeah, the uh, so that was the royal visit. Um, Jeremy Corbyn, we interviewed him when he when he came to Tredegar not long ago. Um, our students interviewed him, and one of our biggest things have happened just in the last three weeks is we signed a small contract with Stephen King on a non for profit basis. He gives us right to one of his uh, short stories, which we develop in a, into a film. Yes, we're looking forward to talking about that mm. uh, more later on. The uh, the stationary bike. You've clearly got a lot of knowledge on this and, and, and setting all of this up. What's your background then, Kev? Well, all the tutors, yeah, you know, we've been in the industry for quite a while. Uh, mine particularly, I uh, worked for a company called Arts Magic for around about 15 years and it started off as VHS duplication. Oh, right. um, and within a couple of years, he decided to go into making films and historical documentaries, which was right, right down my alley because I'm a big fan of history, I'm a qualified historian. And then over the next couple of years, we'd done our qualifications while we worked. Um, and before we know it, we was zipping around the world, making all types of historical documentaries from history of Jesse James to a series on the Holocaust in Germany. So, you know, we were very lucky uh, to actually go to, go and meet some wonderful, go to some wonderful places and meet some, you know, unique people um, to make these films. That's fascinating. My understanding is that Jesse James came from Welsh parentage, is that correct? <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. His, gran- his grandfather or his grandmother had some sort of, sort of Welsh link, but then again, every American has. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. But yeah, oh, the, the Holocaust, that was, um, that was a sobering experience. How, what was the angle that you covered on that? It was a complete history of Dachau and, and Buchenwald concentration camps. And we met uh, some wonderful survivors, uh, one in particular I remember called Gina Turgill, she actually just passed away a few months back, but um, she was known in the press as the Bride of Belson because she was she was about sixteen and uh, when when the camp was liberated by British soldiers, yeah. and the first British soldier that she, that she came into um, contact with, they actually fell in love and and they got married, wow. and for many many years up until her death, she went round schools and told her story, um, but she was a remarkable woman, but it it, it was a very eye opening experience, you know. It, yeah. it, well, you know, what the hard, one of the hardest set of films that I've ever worked on in my life for the obvious reasons. And Gina, of course, her stories was was just amazing in itself. And she told me she was actually in the bed opposite Anne Frank while Anne Frank was dying. So, you know, to pick up these stories and speak to people first and about their experiences, do you know what I mean, is, is an amazing uh, way to um, progress in life, I guess. That's incredible. And if people wanted to see that, where could they see it? I think it's available on, on Amazon um, uh, through, through the company Arts Magic I used to work for. So let's talk about some of the films that, that have come out of the Academy. And I was reading about the Welsh-Polish film. <laughs> the yeah, yeah. Well, what can you tell me about that? Well, me and my colleagues, um, like I said, Alan Terrell, uh, Richard Warner, um, we, we sat down and we thought about making a film, a movie totally independent from anybody, something that we could make ourselves without no influence at all. And at the time, the chairman of Comedy Creation, Steve Kanabek, he asked me to go over to Poland to actually do a promotional film uh, for the orphanage over there that he supports. And while he was over, over there, it was such a beautiful town, um, and we started looking at it as, as a base for locations. We was thinking about filming in Wales. We was always going to film it in Wales. But we found the cost, even just to shut a couple of roads and that, was pretty much 
Etta, you know, three quarters of budget. Only in Poland, it was a totally different story. Um, they shut down squares, streets, and they helped us with the casting. Um, they give us free hotels to the point where I actually stood up and said, you know, this, with everything that you were doing for us, well, you know, what's in it for you? And they yeah. said, well, you were working with our youngsters to give them once-in-a-lifetime opportunities and you promote No Town. And they said, ain't that enough? So, you know, it was a wonderful to you, that type of thing. And I think if that was prominent around the world, things would get done. It's disappointing well. that, that, you know, in Wales, that wasn't done for you as well, for yeah, exactly yeah. the same reason. Yeah, it can be, yeah. But but the bench was is a wonderful film. So we decided to actually shoot it in Polish, yeah. which of course being our first movie in in a language that none of us spoke, made it a little bit hard for ourselves. But um, we was happy with the outcome of it. Um, we had some wonderful uh, support. Um, we we know a few Polish people from from over you, and they translated and helped with the edit and everything. And we submitted it to a few film festivals. We was very very pleased that they got accepted into the London International Filmmakers Festival 2017. Um, we went down, we didn't expect nothing of it, and we picked up the best screenplay for a foreign language film. And we, we was blown over because it was a very, very um, highbrow kind of uh, festival. And, you know, so it blew us away. So our very first film, we picked up quite, quite a high-profile um, award. So that sounds absolutely incredible. So for our listeners, could you just give a... a, a brief spoiler-free summary of, of the bench yeah the bench the bench is about two homeless um boys in poland uh they one of them to get in a car accident and develop a mental power and they are pulled then between good and evil so to speak is some very touching underlying stories going on especially talking about you know what it's like to be homeless and things but it's, it's very comical in places as well and then of course two groups to emerge so two almost like a battle between good and evil and they both want this guy with mental powers to actually you know who can read minds actually join them but we had we had a lot of great young polish actors involved but we also had two school trips that come out uh, one from dayton primary school in triga and one from pennycombe special school over Ebervale acted as extras when they come over they also twinned with schools and you know actually made friends with a lot of polish students out there so it wasn't just a film it was actually an experience that we pretty much um, introduced a lot of Polish people to Tridiga people, and the relationship is still very strong today. Excellent. Who's the director on the bench? I am. <laughs> so for any of our listeners that want to see the bench, where would, would they be able to see it? Funny enough, we just went through, through a film festival, and we are in negotiation with a few distributors right at the moment. But I think because it won the award in London, the International Filmmakers Award for Best Screenplay, you know what I mean? That that opened a lot of doors for us. But being our first film, and we practically made it just on a few grand. Most of the staff, including myself and Richard Warner, who was the editor on it, and Alan Terrell, who was the director of cinematography, we all worked on it for nothing. We just wanted to make it because we, we, we are passionate about film. We are filmmakers, and we was lucky to get a little bit of funding in just for actually paying our travel expenses and food and whatever else on the film. Okay, let's talk about something you've got in development that I believe is going through filming or just finished filming mm-hmm. at the moment, Night of the Blood Moon. Night of the Blood Moon, um, we never, ever done a horror film. We come up with the idea, a very simple premise, that that is a werewolf um, escapes from a cage that he locks himself in, coincidentally on the, on the same night that a group of youngsters jumps over a fence of a Victorian mansion on the night of the full moon. 
So, you know, it'd never be an happy ending for them. <laughs> um, we, we, we just shot it in about three weeks. Carissa Lloyd, who's, who's one of the fairest behind you in the, in the theatre, she played one of the main parts, and it was written, co-written by myself and Lee Jones, another local lad. And we wanted to make it very much in the style, perhaps a Blair Witch, bit of Blair Witchy and chucked in there, a bit of Halloween. Um, we're a big fan of all John Carpenter movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very rough and ready, and, you know, Effects-wise, I think we went through about nine litres of fake blood and two pots of jam, you know, so so it's very practical effects. But um, funny enough, just a couple of days ago, um, we submitted to a few film festivals, and just a couple of days ago, we um, found out that we made finalists in the LA Crime and Horror Film Festival, um, which was a lovely little award for us, which, which, like I said, we just picked up a couple of days ago, and we haven't even announced it yet because we had so much going on here for a film that we again it was very much kind of super low budget shot entirely in the dark uh, and and the story is pretty much as is, as we said is a werewolf come along and we just fought up in genius ways out to knock these youngsters off one at a time <laughs> but we also we had a wonderful team working on that again myself alan and richard and Caius, we we all played um, important parts and and lee as 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 the writer and and the and the guy he played the part of the werewolf and we also had um the music done by some some wonderful local artists um in particular uh kevin davidge who's part of the uh part of the group red alert and they done the original soundtrack for us but we also had a gentleman on board called ray phillips who was in the group budgie um, which was quite uh, big in the yeah. 70s yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um and he and also metallica covered a lot of his music as well so so we had him on board and um not just in the music he, he had a small part in it as well so that's where he hadn't long been finished and like i said we put in a few film fe- few film festivals, and we was very lucky that we become the finalists in LA. So the, uh, I'm fascinated by film music, anyway. So that that sort of vibe is that the Carpenter vibe, or you got Definitely. something heavier? Nah, oh, yeah. it's the Carpenter vibe all the way through. Brilliant. Oh. <laughs> right. So when when's my chance of being able to see that? Well, again, like I said, it's, it's still going through a few film festivals. Um, yeah. We just found out as well last week that we was invited to attend the Fusion Film Festival in London in February. Normally what we do when we make a film or programme, we put it through a few film festivals and hopefully a distributor will come along and go, hey, you know, this is my cup of tea, uh, put it into his catalogue and then hopefully it just goes around the world a little bit. Fantastic. Given the amount of people who are going to go through this academy and mm. we've already seen some of the numbers for the, the special show and you've got later on this evening... Uh, you do realise this could be the start of a Welsh film dynasty. <laughs> Where would you like to take it? Our oh, main priority is giving kids a chance that that perhaps is not available to them, whether over financial restrictions or travel restrictions or anything like that. There is nothing like this in the valleys. We really want to see young people um, excel. And, and we've had examples of that in the past. One of our volunteers, um, he's actually in Blood Moon, Josh, um, Josh was on one of my early courses a good few years back and he won't mind me saying that he's a bit rough and ready just then he passed some of the courses with flying colours he'd gone to college he'd just come back from one of the Scandinavian countries on a work, work placement he always says that it's down to the courses that he come on through us mm-hmm. so we yeah, always think from, from, from that as a good example um, that um, when you plant a seed you don't know where it's going to go some, some don't go anywhere others actually grow and you know it will improve the life of young people and, and that's what the film academy is all about well that's great because there's so much going on in wales mm. film wise at the moment yeah. you've got eddie is out six minutes to midnight <laughs> finished filming recently neil marshall's just about to start mm. filming something over here in january the patriot i think has just finished filming here so Sa- I, I know sally hawkins has done a film here in the summer as well so there's a, a tremendous buzz and energy here and you know, if your guys 
can continue that on, well, I don't see why Wales can't be the centre for the whole of the British film industry, really. Well, you don't know where these youngsters are going to go. We always look at ourselves as a stepping stone. We do have a lot of young people, you know, um, perhaps in the early 20s coming in for work experience. We've had um, people sent to us from the Department of Work and Pensions and job centres to perhaps um, hone their skills in some, some way. And that's where Lean Jones joined us, actually. Um, you know, it took him a few months because he was so shy to actually say, I enjoy writing, I enjoy horror writing. Yeah. And, and that's that's where Blood Moon kind of started. Um, but, yeah, we just want to give give youngsters the best opportunity that there is. And, you know, Blinder Gwent and the surrounding areas, and from Pontypridd as well, I guess, yeah. Jeff, you know this, that, that sometimes um, opportunities are few and far between. Um, and, you know, if I uh, if it was an organisation like this on my doorstep when I was young, I, I would have been queuing up to oh, come in here. Like, I would have taken somebody's right arm off yeah, this. Yeah. You know, everything I grew up there, cinemas like the White Palace in the county, all long gone. There's, yeah, there's yeah. nothing there. Even if you want to see a film now in a cinema, you have to travel down to Cardiff to watch yeah, it, really. Yeah, the view is for us over Murfa, you know, it's a wonderful establishment. But also Blackwood, um, Bryn, Bryn Mow got a cinema, but Blackwood are fantastic. They keep their prices real low. And it's, it's, it's a lovely organisation and run by great people. Our community little theatre, a cinema here, it's also a theatre. We've got a lot of live shows going on, but we've also got a big screen. We, we show a lot of classic films, again, for pretty much next to nothing yeah. for, for community members. Like, But no. yeah, you're right. You know, we One of my favourite cinemas of all time, maybe because I, I was so young at the time, was, was the Workman's All in Trediga, which was a two-tier cinema. And I remember my dad used to take me to see Flash Gordon, you know, Empire <laughs> Strikes Back and all, all them type of films. Um, but sadly, that's now a car park. Tragic, absolutely tragic. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, something that's absolutely fascinating at the moment: the stationary bike. Yes, yeah, stationary bike. Um, this this was an unbelievable thing for our students. You know, we, Stephen King had been giving out these these small contracts for non for profit educational establishments for many years since the eighties. So we we looked on his website, we picked a film, and we picked the film mainly because the uh, about a third of it set in a basement, and we we are now like conducting this this interview backstage um which is a lovely uh oh, <laughs> it's, it's almost yeah. like a basement yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the re- reasons why we picked that particular story um within 24 hours a secretary come back sent us the documents we signed them sent them back with one dollar we charge us one dollar per per, <laughs> per license and um before you know it you know there was a few articles done on us we had we had a wonderful article done by the bbc mm. and then for two weeks solid it spread around the world yes. and we did we told we told pretty much everybody we come to contact with that this is not new stephen king have been supporting young people and educational establishments for many 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 years but somehow people kind of cottoned on to us we've done interviews uh, for new zealand radio canadian radio um, as well as Swansea and Wales and BBC Wales and so on, on, on the internet, ITV News, Sky News. I saw a Russian article as well. There, there's a yeah. Russian. When we thought, what the Russians are actually talking about? Blind the Gwent Film Academy and Trediga, <laughs> you know, is, is the most peculiar thing. Um, you know, We, we had a very radio. bad experience with Russia with the podcast, which I'll tell you about <laughs> offline. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, like I said, our, our friends in Australia, they, they, they publicise things. But um, And me and Ryan Probert, who's, who's the, got one of the main parts, um, in the film, he plays Richard in the Stephen King film. Me, me and him had to do some some interviews for Canadian radio, you know. So, so it spread so far, and and for me, being a big Trekkie, you know, I mean, George Takei put it on his website and and commented on it and said, you know, he'd love to see this film. I thought that's the pinnacle. It don't matter what else happened. <laughs> George Takei mentioned us, you know. That, Graham would be extremely happy. With <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. In fact, I saw you on the George Takei website. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, you know, we we was blown away by that. Away? 
but we couldn't get over the amount of people who were stopping us in the street and just saying wow I just read a small article um, about you in the Daily Mirror yeah. you know just a small part and we thought wow but for us it was almost we wanted the article to go out into local newspapers just so it'd be almost like a recruitment poster for young people and let more young people know about what we do in Uintradiga but uh, the exposure we had right the way around the world was absolutely insane you know it was nothing like we've ever seen have you got a lot more people sort of coming forward with applications? We, 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 yeah, we've had quite a, quite a few new starters over the last uh, last two weeks, and you know it's wonderful to, to think that you know Stephen King had an hand in yeah. making our organisation stronger and better. But you know you got to take your hat off to somebody like that who's a famous author. You haven't got to do anything like this. You know, there's yeah. nothing in it for him, yeah. but for him to go around and support in educational establishments and helping young people develop their careers in some shape or form. You know, you've got to think what an amazing guy. Uh, absolutely, and that's how Frank Darabon got his start with yeah. something like the woman yeah. in the room. Mm. Is Shawshank as well? Did he? Uh, he did yeah. Shawshank yeah, later, that's but right. he yeah, did yeah. a dollar deal that's in the eighties yeah, with woman yeah. in the room. Yeah, yeah. and uh, which you know, it, it, it's a very brave move for Stephen King to even allow that to be filmed because it was about his mother dying that the whole story revolves around. Um, but, he let, uh, but he let Darabont make it, and, and it's and it formed a lifelong friendship. I mean, out of that has come Shawshank, Green Mile, yes, The Mist. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's absolutely tremendous, really. And funny enough, when you when talk about The Mist, we actually went to um, a film convention not long ago and we actually met Nick Castle down there and we told him all about the Film Academy and he was, he was so amazed. He gave us a lovely signed photo to the oh, to like, Grand so Film jealous. Academy. Yeah, <laughs> um, but um, he, he was really interested and really amazed at what we're doing down here. Also, while we were there, we actually went to a seminar on The Mist. One of the things that came out there, they said they had pro- terrible problems, actually, you know, all the smoke that they had everywhere, one gust of wind, and the old smoke would disappear, so so the mist kind of just vanished. Now, that may have sounded a little bit abrupt, the way we ended that. Reason for that is uh, we had been invited up there that evening for a couple of things, uh, interview and also to watch their uh, first film awards to some of the students. At that point, Kev had to rush off. As the first of the guests were arriving, he had to make sure the red carpet was down and they were treated with the respect they deserve. So it was uh, an interesting experience then as we went to see the awards and a real privilege. So thank you to everybody at the Academy for allowing us to see that. And now, after that scheduled break, we'll return to the interviews. Hi, it's your At The Flicks team again. We're here with Keris, Alfie and Kevin to talk about this fantastic opportunity they've got of making the Stephen King film, The Stationary Bike. So guys, what inspired you to select this story from all of Stephen King's dollar projects? Well, we, we thought this would be a great opportunity when we heard of the um, website Dollar Babies. Um, it, we, we thought we didn't, honestly didn't think it would get this far, but we, th- we thought it would be a nice opportunity to learn how to adapt um, quality films, and I thought that it would be a nice step, for- step forward. Um, Excellent. I think we chose Stationary Bike because the other ones weren't as great. Okay. Can you remember any of the others that were on there? <laughs> no, there, there, there was quite a list on there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was quite a list. But I, I think he updated every so often. Right. Okay. Um, but yes, like you said, um, Stationary Bike. Uh, one of the main things about it is because he's pedaling around on his exercise bike. Yeah. Quite a quite a, quite a while. Um, you know, the, this the setting of the theatre is is a perfect setting for his basement. Excellent. So are you going to do this as a full-length feature or as a short? It's short. We, um, we've been, um, we've been, Stephen King has informed that we've, we should keep it to a minimum of 45 minutes. Okay. So at the moment you're in the middle of writing the script, is that correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. Any idea on timings from that or 
not at the moment. Just complete it and see where you are. Um, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Right. I, I, where we are at the moment, um, these guys are working with Ryan, um, Ryan Probert, who's the star in the film. Yeah. And what have we been doing in the last Thursday? Um, last Thursday, we've been um, through rough patches parts of the script, and we've been discussing on how we can adapt it and what we can change, what we don't need to change. Just, just, just a rough B6. You will find we have added it quite a bit, so it's a little <laughs> bit different to how you expect okay. it to be. So I'm fascinated. Are you the, the character of the wife in the tale? She's very much in the background, but quite key to what happens. Is the wife going to be shown, or we've not reached that stage yet? I think she might be in the photograph. There is going to be a photograph. I don't think we'll get an actor to play her, but there will be some mention of her. Okay. So, I think quite a key question here. Does your lead actor realise how much time he's going to have to spend on a bike and pedalling? <laughs> I think that was part of the concept, so he could get a bit fitter as well. <laughs> and that's the actor. <laughs> So really, he should be paying you then, because you're putting him on a fitness program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, it's things things that should be mentioned to him. I feel. <laughs> so the internal locations you're going to do in this wonderful theatre here in Tredegar, yeah. Yes. Okay. And is it in this area that you're going to be filming in? I say this area for radio because you can't see it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But we're in a wonderful sort of backstage area at the moment that could be turned into so many things. Would would this be your main setting for the film? Um, yes. Yep. Oh, we, 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 we got a, we're still working out locations because it's still very early days yeah. when you think the contract just come through um, probably about like three weeks back. Uh, yeah. We've got a, got a few ideas, but it's going to be filmed pretty much entirely in Tradiga. So I think so far we, we've got our basement. Like you said, it's just around us. Um, we've got some wonderful mountains um, and and forests and scenery. You you know, it's yeah. Jeff, you're from Pondy Creek. As I said, coming over today to the guys, for the location work, mm. you're spoiled. Yes. Everywhere yeah. around the here. The Brecon Beacons are being stunning at the moment, aren't yes, they? With absolutely. all the colours in the trees. And in the winter, they just get nicer and nicer. A bit yeah. of snow on top. So, so we are spoilt for choice, I think, guys. But locations at the moment is still kind of on a back burner until we do the adaption and then we'll think about the locations. Yeah. yeah. We were on the set of a film called Last Chances a couple of weeks ago, which was filming in Cheltenham. And they'd sorted their locations out, but every now and again they'd drive around and think, we've got to film you. They quickly got out the car, set the camera up, snatched a few shots and drove off. So you've always got that opportunity as well. <laughs> they call that guerrilla f- filming. That's they? right, yeah. yeah. There's the, the, some very good books out called The Guerrilla's Guide to Filmmaking. Yeah. And, right? and for young people, um, they're excellent guides. They, they cover everything. And being almost a guerrilla filmmaker myself, especially on the historical documentary side of things, you know, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful experience. You almost, as you know, you almost think you're kind of on an adventure every mm. project that you work on. Yes, absolutely. What about the title character itself? Have you got that worked out? Which one you're going to get yet? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I, think, I, I think we've, I think we've got, I think I've got a stationary bike which I think we could probably use. You know, just only have to, or can I have to grab out of the basement as well? So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, so yeah, we'll cross that bridge when you come to it. Yeah. You, you do realise if Ryan turns into a temperamental actor, you can tighten it up a little bit so it's harder to turn. Yeah. That'll get him. <laughs> Ooh, well, that's good idea. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting how you make this film because there's so many ways you can interpret it. 
is it in his mind? Is this really happening? Is there um, another dimension? As, uh, absolutely. As Graham wants it to be. I think we're going to try and... <laughs> I think Sorry. we're going to try and make it really hazy so you can decide that for yourself yes. after seeing mm. the film. Yeah, because there was, there was often the sort of vibe that Stephen King would often let in some creations. We thought we can try and incorporate that into our own film. Okay. Have you any thoughts of throwing in it, any nice little references to other King's work, King work in there? Possibly. We, yeah, we could. We could, but we'll have to kind of extend another permission, I assume. <laughs> Again, you know, going back to the film that we've seen tonight, at the end of it, those lovely shots of the actors, it, it could be out in the shining. It's a reference, but you're not infringing on any copyright or anything like that. Oh. Uh, and, 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 you know, um, the, the reference tonight, only after you, you told us about it that we picked it up, it was actually, it was actually <laughs> the original ideas from the kids and, and oh, things. Right. Really. So when you said that, I thought, Oh yeah, you know. So, so subconsciously, somewhere, do you know, what I mean, yeah. maybe may registered, but it wasn't actually a direct reference. But um, you know, guys, if you come up with any ideas to slip in any references, not just Stephen King, but any other things that you can think of, yeah. Um, then yeah, yeah, let's let's slip it in. The, the promotional film we just watched tonight for the Film Academy Day is about thirty references in the <laughs> films, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything from the Karate Kid, you know, to Star Wars. Yeah. You know, there's they, so much like. <laughs> Try and write down as many as I can. <laughs> uh, so, what's your timeline for completion? So you're working at the script at the moment. Do you have a date in mind when you're going to finish? When filming is going to start? No, no, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> it's fine. It's, another thing, we we got to do it in twelve months. That's well, that's when the actual contract expires. Mm. So, um, like I said, I think we aimed to get the script more or less knocked out around about Christmas time. Um, and then we can start reusing, and perhaps February, March, we start filming, and let's see how we go somewhere. Cool. Excellent. So, on that line, we've got one last very important question. Can we please come back and watch it when it's done? Absolutely. Sure, oh. sure. Why not? <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> right. <coughs> Keris, Alfie, and you, Kat, thank you very much for your time today. It's been brilliant. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank, thank you very much. They were amazing. I think I speak for all of us when I say how impressed I was by the enthusiasm shown by everyone towards us when we visited. And thanks again to Kevin for allowing us to sit in on your awards ceremony. OK, time for sombre music for the first of our look back of the year. The saddest part of being a film buff is seeing the annual long list of industry names who have passed away. Some of these people are household names, many aren't. The comfort we as movie watchers have is the knowledge that their work is preserved for future generations to see. Rather than do the norm and read a long list of names out, we have chosen to approach this section of the show differently. We've picked six names which have had an impact on our film-going lives, which we will briefly discuss. That is not meant in any way to diminish the achievements of anyone who was passed on in 2018. They may not be mentioned, however, they are certainly not forgotten. Okay, let's talk about the first of the six people we are eulogising. R. Lee Ermey, 1944 to April of this year. 
Now, most people remember Mr. Ermey from his amazing performance in Full Metal Jacket. In fact, Arlie Ermey had previously acted and been an advisor in such films as Apocalypse Now and The Boys in Company C. Prior to this, Arlie had seen action in Vietnam and was medically discharged because of injuries received. After that, he went to college in the Philippines, where he studied drama, among other things, and just happened to be where many of these earlier Vietnam films were being made. Now, after his Golden Globe nominate performance in Full Metal Jacket, he starred in many other films, such as Mississippi Burning, Seven. He was in the Toy Story films, of course, as Lead of the Soldiers, The Frighteners, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake in 2003, where, lads, I'm sure you remember that performance and how good it was when he was nominated <laughs> for the Fangoria Chainsaw Award. So, sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, loved it, Jeff. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. So what are your thoughts, guys, on Arlie Ermey? I've seen him in two films. I saw him in Full Metal Jacket, obviously absolutely brilliant, and in Mississippi Burning, which is a, a film I've got to go back and watch again. I thought it was a great movie. I mean, yeah, it's a great Christmas film. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they interviewed him the, for the Kubrick, wasn't it? It was the Full Metal Jacket. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they interviewed loads and loads and loads of uh, ex-servicemen for the, for the role, and Ermey was one of them. And, and what? Well, Kubrick knew about him, but thought he was a bit too nice. So he turned up for his his, um, <laughs> his review with pages and pages of insults and reeled them all off in one of those three. And um, yeah, got the job and obviously was quite well, quite horrible. Well, Kubrick was Not terrified of him. Oh, was really? Absolutely oh, no. terrified of him. And, you know, he, he sort of stayed part. And he didn't understand a lot of the things he was saying. There's one insult, which I'll tone down for this, where he says, you know, <laughs> he's insulting Matthew Modine. He says, you're the type of guy that if you're having homosexual sex with someone, you wouldn't even do a reach around. And Kubrick stopped the film and said, what's a reach around? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the sort of guy he was. You know, he was, he, he played that part in real life. And he brought that into Full Metal Jacket. And, you know, when many people in Kubrick films are made to do take 40, 50 times, not many of those happen to Arlie Ermey. He just give Kubrick the stare. <laughs> um, How could you maintain that level of absolute aggression? You know, so, I mean, he's, that's a one take, really, isn't it, for him? I mean, because... It's desperately uncomfortable. It's the stuff when they're in the, uh, in the barracks and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One, they're very good. Yeah, one of the interesting things I saw, you know, when I saw the film in the cinema was um, the amount of people that laughed during these these early sequences. Ouch! Did you did you ever do you ever see it in the cinema? I don't think I saw uh, it in the cinema. Well, no. it it really was, you know, his dialogue. Okay, it's extreme and the language is foul, but is it that different to the to the sort of sergeant major role we would see mm. in the British comedy films in the fifties and sixties? It was just taken to another degree. He wasn't a sympathetic character, and of course, when he met his end there, there was no sympathy for the guy. But I was really struck. I saw it twice in the cinema, and both times people were falling around laughing at some of the stuff he was coming out with, as vile and as bullying as he is. It's just that tradition, and I think he carried it on. You horrible nah. little man. 
but yeah, that's but with a few that other. Extend that to yeah. four or five pages yeah. of yeah. <clears throat> horrible little man who didn't do a reach around. But the sergeant major in comedies and British comedies in particular is always a person to be ridiculed. Yes, I don't think no. you were going to no. ridicule him in this. Guy was this is this is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and he does. He terrifies these young recruits. Yeah. And okay, he's trying to prepare them for what's going to come, which is even worse. I thought it was a brilliant performance, and Kubrick just let it run. That's yes. the other thing. Yeah, and I'm not. A, not a huge fan of what Kubrick does with people because they all tend to be cold and, and very flat and still, but he just lets them go for it. And I thought that was That's brilliant. because he was scared of him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the fact that he then... I am. Well, yeah. <laughs> I've never and, met him and, and, and I was terrified of him, yeah. Yeah, and he played the same role in Toy Story, if you think I about love, it. I love the yeah. fact yeah. that he's the, the Sarge in Toy yeah. Story as well as the little green man. Yeah. But I think it's one of these performances that you, know, you think of him... In this film, mm-hmm. as you said, we listed out a whole host of classic films yeah. he was in. You don't remember those. Yeah. But this performance is so searing hot, it's unforgettable. Yeah. And I yeah. think for that yeah. is, is why I put him in the top yes. six. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, moving on. An incredible man and one who you can certainly say lived life to the full. While Arlie Emery had a full career, it is one performance that immediately springs to mind when you mentioned his name. The same could probably be said about our second person. Margot Kidder, 1948 to May this year. A Canadian actress who started her career with TV roles and quirky horror movies. Oh, I wonder what they are. As the 70s progressed, um, Miss Kidder became more prominent in a wide variety of roles in acclaimed films. All of that led to the role she is best remembered for, Lois Lane in Superman. After that success, Margot had the pick of roles until personal issues prevented her from working for a while. The latter part of her career was as she started with, TV roles and quirky horror films. However, there's some stunning achievements in that period through the 1970s and early 80s. And I'd actually say she really came into her own in the early 2000s because I thought she really became a solid, hard-working actress. With On what? Some, she did an awful lot of very, very extreme TV stuff in, okay. in the early 2000s. I know she played the, the mother of a serial killer. She also played an insane Canadian woman bent on domination of all of her local tribes. And she was an embattled guidance counsellor in, in one particular role. I, I mean, at that stage in her career, she wasn't obviously worried about her, her legacy. And I think she was just doing things she really wanted to I do. Think she, all the way through the career, yeah. she's always said, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that, regardless of whether it was worthy. She or... described herself as a, as a, as a job whore. She a would just, whore, go, yeah. she'd just go and pick anything she wanted. <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I think, again, it's another name, if you mention it, you come back to Superman. Oh, yeah, her you do. Lois Lane, I think, was excellent. And the, that chemistry she had with Christopher Reeve. And that's I, I important. That's important. Tremendous. Yeah, I mean, she's okay, she was a supporting actor, but I mean, her role in that movie was to make Superman believable. So this guy can fly, that's a bit unbelievable. Yeah. When she fell from that top of that building and Superman catches her, the look of absolute disbelief on her face was fabulous absolutely mm. fabulous and she's the like the touchstone for us as humans dealing with this alien yeah and I, but i don't and i don't think if you take the current superman as good an actress as amy adams mm. is 
she doesn't make the impression that Margot Killer made yeah. in those Superman films with, with Christopher Reeve. And her yeah. comedy timing, the running joke through the film, where she's not spelling things correctly. Yes. <laughs> I thought that was quite wonderful. clever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you know, talking of other roles that she's done, <laughs> I mean, she had that time, she, she starred in the Amityville Horror, which was one of the biggest hits of 79, you know, and, and things like Willie and Phil. Um, oh, that's film. that's not a good film. And the Me Too movement would have some serious issues with Willie and Phil these days. Willie and Phil is another one of those um, films where you have a, a male director with a screwed up notion of what what women are. I don't think it would play very well to a modern audience. She's brilliant in it. She's really, really good. Yeah. The other two actors... Mm, not so much, but she's excellent in it. And I do think that the really sad thing about Margot Kidder is I just don't think, you know, the burgeoning of her talent was seen there, particularly with Superman, but it just never went from there because she was outspoken. She was very much an activist for the environment, mm-hmm. even before yeah. it's as popular as it is now. And, of course, she had a lot of um, personal issues. She was diagnosed Bi- bipolar. bipolar. Yeah. If you remember that time, she disappeared for a yeah. week and was, uh, yeah. was found. And her death, mm. unfortunately, you know, it, it was then ruled as suicide. Yeah. Yes. It's such a real, real shame. She was big mates with Spielberg, wasn't she? She was. In the early days, uh, when Spielberg was starting out and the formation of the, the six-pack, that's the six directors of Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma, Palma. John yep. Melius and Martin Scorsese, she was in yep. with that crowd. And that got her the role in Sisters. She played twin sisters in Sisters one who was psychopathic and the other who was normal. And again, it's a stunning performance. I think there's a really good article to be done on Margot Kidder's impact on horror movies of the 1970s. I'm sure Lucy might have something to say on this. But Black Christmas, which was the template for Halloween and many things that came after it. Sisters is highly regarded. The Amityville Horror was a massive hit in its time. And Black Christmas, isn't that one of the very first slasher movies? It is, yeah. yeah. And even to the twist ending, Mm. it's quite clever as well. But, you know, a great actress, a really great talent. We just didn't see the full potential. No, definitely. Over to you, Neil, for the next one. Clearly, Margot Kidder did not have an easy life, whereas our next person did not have an easy start to life. Milos Forman, 1932 to April 2018. Film director Milos was born and raised in Czechoslovakia. Both his parents died in German concentration camps. Actually, they were members of... They were, were they his parents? There was his a confusion parents. over that, wasn't there? No, yeah, his, his, they weren't Jewish, but they were taken into camps for their they were very an, much anti-Nazi. Anti-Nazi uh, leanings. Yeah. While Milos eventually became part of the Eastern Bloc communist state before fleeing to America during the 1968 Czech uprising. Here he spent the rest of his career winning two Oscars for Best Director and nominated for a third. For us, his ultimate achievement is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which he made in 1975 and is only one of three films to win all top five Oscars. There were many other fine films such as The Fireman's Ball, Hair... Ragtime, Amadeus, Brilliant. another Oscar win. Yeah, fantastic. People versus Larry Flint, Oscar nominated. Mm-hmm. Man on the Moon, which I loved, I must yep, admit. I do too. I think yeah, one of the things to Milos Forman is he wasn't afraid to tackle difficult subjects. I mean, no. One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest 
in both book and film is very anti-authoritarian. Yes. Mm. Um, Nicholson's character, though you like him, you'd never trust him. In <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. <laughs> um, Am- Amadeus, you got a film about two classical composers. Yes. You'd have thought that and would be... And made it really interesting. It's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it I mean, Thomas Hulse's performance, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Um, Ragtime, I think, is incredibly underrated. It, it was one of the last films of James Cagney came out of retirement to uh, to, to work on that. And mm. It's essentially about 1911 to 1913 and how America was starting to change at that point away from the agrarian culture that it, it basically was. But it's it's a wonderful film. And People vs. Larry Flint, mm. um, which is about free speech. I mean, yeah, I was yeah. stunned when I saw this film first. Woody Harrelson as Larry Flint. It, it's just an incredible... Again, he's not a nice character. No. The argument the film makes for free speech is very important. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, Man on the Moon, I mean, I don't think Carrie's ever been better than he was in and that film. Allowing him space to do all that Jim Carrey stuff that he does yeah. is, is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I just constantly go back to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Just an absolutely perfect film. It's spot on. Isn't it's it's just like there's nobody puts a foot wrong in it. Yeah. It's the right length. The story is brilliant. The, the sort of misdirection of the audience all the time. You know, it's just wonderful. And the characters are the characters, wonderful. Yeah. Aren't they? I, I went to see it and I was just knocked out by it. And I said to my parents at the time, you really want to go and see this? And they went and saw it twice. They loved it so much. They said it was one of the best films they'd ever seen. You know, mm. it was just totally incredible. And far better than the book. I find Kesey's book very difficult to get through. Didn't read it. Uh, whereas the no, film, I have, yeah, yeah, it focuses yeah, very much a lot in, better, I think. Yeah, because in the book, it's narrated by the chief, mm. and yeah. he clearly has mental issues, and these mental issues keep working into the book, uh, and you don't need that to be. No. You, you see it all, and and it pulls that through. It said he's not he's not a character you trust. <laughs> he'd probably be fun to be around, although you check for your watch at the end of the conversation. But there's, there's not really what many many f- fun characters in there. The yeah. nurse, I'm trying to remember. And, uh, and Ratchet. Yeah. Nurse yeah. Ratchet. Yeah, or Theresa, Theresa May can play that <laughs> part. Yeah. Like cool yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, Theresa May Theresa to May. Ratchet. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's Bonkers. relevant now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obsessed relevant. with process. Obsessed and, with and process. And what's frightening is She's not evil. She's authoritarian. Oh, she is. Yeah. yeah. She, she, she's just, I'm just doing this by the book. Well, I'm yes. sorry, the book is wrong. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we have a filmmaker here that we've been discussing who made these films that made really intelligent points in mainstream cinema. Mm. And I, I think one of the things we're lacking today, probably other than Spielberg, is you don't get major talent that can do this sort of this make this sort of film. I would say actually Steven Spielberg, Christopher Nolan, Christopher and I, Nolan, and I'd I'd start to struggle outside of that. Who could consistently do mm. what yeah. uh, mm. Milos Forman did? Yeah, a sad loss, a sad loss. Yes, an incredible man who made certainly made the most of his talent. Now this next person, although in his time as a big star, I believe did not make the most of his talent, even though he certainly had plenty of it. Burt Reynolds, 1936 to September of this year. When I started regularly going to the cinema in the 70s, Burt Reynolds was one of the biggest stars in the world. Mm. He'd started acting in the 1950s after a sports injury stopped a potential American football career, working his way through many television shows, including an excellent Twilight Zone episode called The Bard, which, rumour goes, cost him a role in The Godfather because... Marlon Brando hated the way he impersonated him in that episode. <laughs> his, his timing is horrible, isn't it? Yeah. 
Brilliant. And just silly decision-making. So, and then he goes from TV to westerns, which are pretty stock at the time, or routine action movies like um, Shark Attack or something. No, Shark it was, it was called at the time. But then in 72, thanks to Fuzz, Deliverance, and a nude centrefold in Cosmopolitan, <laughs> don't copy him, Neil. From there yeah. to the early 80s, his star power was at its highest, both in terms of acting and direct. However, when he fell out of favour with audiences and made poor choices, his career never recovered. There was the odd good film and even an Oscar nomination. But, you know, you look back, you see films like Deliverance, I mentioned, mm. The Mean Machine, silent movie which shows his comic timing brilliantly, Hooper, one of the funniest films ever at Hollywood, starting over, where his co-stars were all Oscar nominated except him, and I, I found that absolutely tragic. Best Friends with Goldie Horn, great film, mm. and, of course, the Oscar nomination for Boogie Nights. Guys, what are your thoughts on this chap? Well, I mean, he clearly just picked roles that he thought he'd be really good in and everything. He picked on, um, what was it, uh, Smokey and the Bandit in terms of endearment? Is that true? <laughs> well, Smokey and the Bandit came first, but no, he turned down Terms of Endearment. And the role in the, uh, of, yeah, the Nicholson played Bre- yeah. of Breedlance, I think the character's name was, was written for him and he said that's the biggest regret of his career it was, it it was uh, wasn't enough lines I think oh, yeah, said no to. And, and Nicholson won the Oscar uh, it wasn't um, Smoking the Bandit was it it was another one Stoker Ace Stoker Ace I did write it down okay yeah um, yeah. Um, it was, which flopped yeah and, and, and that you know, follows all through the 80s and what's interesting if you compare him to Clint Eastwood so you've got these two guys yeah, in the 70s were, were you know in America, with the top two draws, you went to see one movie or the other. Come 1980, and I use 80 as a watershed year, both had films that flopped. Clint Eastwood had Bronco Billy that flopped, but Reynolds had Rough Cut. Rough Cut being the operative word, because the next couple of years were a struggle for both of them. But Eastwood was clever. Eastwood, through the 70s, and probably from his time from you know, when he was doing the Italian Westerns, yeah. knew the power of an international market. So he made sure that you know his name was known. So even at the worst of his films at that point, his name was still out there. Burt Reynolds very rarely publicised his films outside of America, and that's why his career started going downhill. If you listen to Kathleen Turner and what she has to say about the making of Switching Channels, which came at the end of the 80s, and she said that working with Burt Reynolds was unbearable. And I think at that point, because he'd made so many bad career choices, he's becoming difficult to work with. The classic thing is he was Oscar nominated for Boogie Nights. He did it because he needed the money. He disowned the film straight away, then re-owned the film when he got Oscar nominated, then disowned it again when he didn't get the the Oscar win. So it's just a sad... decision-making was shocking. Well, is it him or is it his agent? It's it's partially him. I mean, if you don't get offered the roles, you don't see the roles, you know, and they yeah. don't get past your agent, but you're always going to be screwed. You, know, he, you end brain. up with Smokey and the Bandit and Cannonball <laughs> but, Run. You, you, yes. Well, both of those were massive hits. Oh, huge, yeah. yeah. But it, those weren't the problems. It was the Stoker Ace, the uh, Heat, yeah. the other Heat, not the one with De Niro. You know, you, you look at his range, you had Deliverance and Hustle, which are yeah, really, really powerful, powerful films. films yeah. Yeah. You had The Longest Yard or Mean Machine. As oh, it's great, country, great film. Great, yeah, he had that range. And then he started doing comedies like, you know, Starting Over, Best Friends, Paternity, which were really funny. But just, other than Starting Over, never found the audience. No. I mean, mm. Starting Over is it's one of the most underrated films of his career. I, I think it's just 
brilliant and he plays so against type in that film yeah yeah and yeah and it's just a shame that he just didn't have the talent i must admit i just switched off to him when you know you see Smokey and the bandit and the kind of and you think oh come on you can do better than this and then i just basically ignored most of what else he did yeah. that's the problem then i saw boogie nice and went oh where's he been you know yeah so, yeah sad but, and he was a director and he could direct. yes he could direct you know, films like the end and sharky's mm. machine yeah great little movies yeah sad sad, sad. very sad anyway while Burt Reynolds couldn't sustain his star power, our next person, who means a great deal to me, never gave up. Stan Lee, 1922 to November of this year. Not strictly a filmmaker, although he has appeared in numerous films. His Marvel empire in comic and film has shaped many lives. Stan Lee started writing comics back in the 1930s when Jeff was in his teens. He... <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. Yeah, we we nice need one. skyscraper duct tape here to stop my side spinning. <laughs> <laughs> he nearly gave up in the late 1950s, but stuck it out and shaped the Marvel comic book heroes of the 60s. When the dip in the comic books came in the late 1990s, Mr. Lee took a more backroomer position in the company, and the company itself was later sold. However, it might be said his greatest achievement was yet to come, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which immortalized many of the characters he created must be one of the most successful creations of cinema some of his greatest marvel stanley films are iron man i could not believe that when i first saw that it was just blew it was me incredible, away it's incredible it, it was incredible it's i like, thought they got it all right wow yeah after years and years of terrible superhero movies finally something arrives that's worth watching and then he moved on with thor avengers assembled deadpool Captain America Civil War, and, of course, this year we had Avengers Infinity War. He was mainly an ideas man, uh, not a writer or artist, per se, and not the world's greatest businessman. But, but he, Sorry, can I just come in yeah, on that? he did write. Yeah, he did, but I think the thing, where Stanley and we spoke about the comics of the 60s mm. rather than the yeah. movies now, but those comics of the 60s were I think the right thing at the right time mm -hmm. you look back at the 60s and unfortunately we all can <laughs> you had that yeah, you had that period of optimism where anything could be achieved you had the yep. space race yep. and suddenly you had all these fantastic yeah. uh, say fantastic four but you know, you've got all sorts of superheroes coming out and as a kid I read loads of I did too I was obsessed when I was I just couldn't wait for the next week to come around to, to get my next comic fix it was an amazing time and all the time he was bringing out new characters new ideas i remember the fantastic four first coming out i thought that was blew me away and then he did a load of stuff with thor which was just wonderful and yeah i learned so much about yeah. norse mythology and and you know that sort of thing he used to come up with an idea and send it off to the <clears throat> jack kirby and was it steve ditko steve ditko was the guy on yeah. spider-man yeah and they'd send he'd send him off and then he'd come up with another idea and another one another story yeah but put all the stuff together for this it'll yeah. be fine yeah and they just yeah and they would do all the drawings and such like and flesh the story out but the other thing that was quite important about him was that all his characters had flaws Yes. Up, up before that, you know, Batman was a super rich guy, who, you know, who was just basically just a 100% superhero uh, and nothing was wrong in his life. You know, Spider-Man arrives, he's got all oh, this... dead parents. <coughs> yeah, 
Well, thanks for that. I'm there to help. I mean, this is the mi- mi- obituaries section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point, Neil. Yeah. Are we doing an obituary for, uh, <laughs> for Mar- Martha Wayne? <laughs> um, yeah, so all, all his heroes had, had real-life problems, you know. Yes, so. Spider-Man is, I mean, especially. I mean, yeah. it just, it just yeah. nothing goes right, no, and then no. suddenly he's Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah, it's very clever. I think the interesting point to pick up on you were saying he was an ideas man. Yeah. And he's ended up in the last part of his life in the Disney Empire. Yeah. Who was another ideas man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Disney orchestrated those people. Couldn't and draw, Stan, couldn't, uh, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Stanley was pretty much the same. He yeah. orchestrated everything there. And, you know, we are at the moment, for better or worse, in the middle of a superhero bonanza in the cinema. Yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a golden age of superhero movies. I don't know how long this is going to last. Not too much longer. <laughs> you say that every year, Jeff. Yeah, I do. Since two thousand and eight, you've said that every year. But but I think a, a talent that that will certainly last. Yeah, I think is you know ideas and uh, and the stuff he came up with is going to last. Yeah. And finally. William Goldman, mm. 1931 to November 2018. Scriptwriter William Goldman was not only responsible for some of the greatest films ever to come out of Hollywood, he was also responsible for one of the best books ever written about the movies, Adventures in the Screen Trade, from which comes our motto, nobody knows anything, especially <laughs> Jeff. It's a must-read. Mr. Goldman started writing novels in the 1950s and over his lifetime also wrote plays, Oscar-winning films, two Oscars, and non-fiction. Some of his greatest film scripts, The Moving Target, 1966, which cast in The Sundance Kid three years later, The Great Waldo Pepper in the mid-70s, All the President's Men, Marathon Man, Magic, The Princess Bride, Misery, and Chat. Now, guys... Where do, you, where do you start yeah. with this one? Yeah, Just I, unbelievable. To, unbelievable. This, this loss to me is probably Stanley to you. Yeah. Um, you know, when I started going to the cinema, Goldman's films are out there. I think Marathon Man would be one of my ten favourite films of all mm. time. Magic, I think, as both book and film, is well, amazing. How, how do you go from Marathon Man to The Princess Bride? I mean, it's, it's a range. <laughs> you certainly yeah, got no, no, breath. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He could he could do that, and he stripped up. I mean, this is the guy, right? Who even after he really in the last few years of his life he wasn't waiting that much. He was still doing script doctoring. He yeah. changed my credited as yeah. well, mostly. Mm-hmm. He changed my perception of Saving Private Ryan forever, because his whole point he was he he given this talk on it, and he was saying the the problem with Saving Private Ryan is the very end of the film when they go in and find Matt Damon and take mm. him out of where he's held up. That would never happen in real life. And I was thinking about this after, and, and, and Goldman said at the time, he said, what could have happened is they have the argument where Matt Damon says, I'm not going, and Tom Hanks pulls rank and says, you're going, son. They go to leave, but of course so much time has now elapsed that the Germans are coming in and then they're stuck there. Mm. Then they're fighting for their lives, mm. which gives more of a realistic edge to what was going on. So things like that are tremendous, and, and that's not counting uh, the great Waldo Pepper that flips from comedy to tragedy on a dime. That also starred Margot Kidder as well. Back to her again. Yeah, and you know he, he then turns around on Stephen King stories like Misery, oh, yeah. Yeah. and just yeah. makes a tremendous yeah. job of that. You know, it's two actors in a room. It should had no right to be as tense uh, as it is. As I said, it, 
to me, it's a great loss. And his book, uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade, yeah, and I think the follow-up is, mm. uh, What Lie Did I Tell You First? Um, <laughs> a, a just incredible book. And if you want to see... That's a great... That's 70s, a great... Yeah, Century Cinema was really like... Yeah. Uh, and the egos when we still had star power, which we don't thankfully have so much of no. today, um, it's just great. But to me, a tragic loss. And The Princess yes. Bride, one of my favourite, favourite movies. I just love it. It's just totally bonkers and yeah. so much fun. And it was so different when it came out. My favourite movie line of all time is in that film. Which is? Life is pain. Anyone who tells you difference trying to sell you something. <laughs> <laughs> So true. Yeah. So true. But, yeah. William Goldman, like all the others we've just discussed, a real loss. Yeah. Mm. Thank you to all those individuals and the many more not mentioned who have enriched our lives. And now, let's have some music. Before I start on the news, I would remind you, Neil, that I did get you a Christmas present, that book on how to be Welsh. I see it's not working as yet, but give it time. It was very, very useful, thank you. It was just the right size. I've got a wonky table, so I fixed that with it. Brilliant. Moving on. For me, the biggest news of the year, and one of our scoops, was our report from the set of Last Chances. It was fascinating to watch all the evening's preparation and the film shoot itself. As a reminder, the plot is about two chances, Flynn, played by Alice J. Webb, and Aidan, played by Harry Dyer, who have 24 hours to find £25,000 to pay off a rather nasty criminal played by Brian Croucher or face painful consequences. Last month, the director Phil Stubbs was on the show talking about the years he has spent on this film and the starting of the editing process. So let's get an update as to where we are now. And through the magic of our phone system and everything <laughs> else Graham's provided, we've got Phil on the line. Hi Phil, how are you doing? Hello, good, thanks, yep. Yeah, good. How was your Christmas? Still busy in post-production. Uh, film's not finished yet in post, so on the fourth draft, it's definitely feeling more cinematic and more feature filmy, so that's all good. So last time we spoke, you just about getting close to the end of the first edit and you had all these notes of the second edit. So you've, you've yes. got through all of those and got those in now then, yeah? That's right, yeah. There's so many little moments that I have to make sure are in there and they are slowly being put in. Because before it was just one big block of scenes, but now you can put all these little dramatic moments in and shots you remember and things like that. So, yeah, it's definitely looking uh, much more how it should be. So do you use the um, this the script then, your, your script as, as your main key for keying in all these scenes? Is that how it works no, or I've, do you the, have something else? The script's kind of been abandoned now. It's it, In a sense, the edit itself is now... The third version of the film because the you know apparently you make the film three times when you write the scripts when you film it and when you edit it so what we see on the screen is now all we have to go on so it is weird for me because i spent so many years writing the script the fact I, i'm not even looking at it now and it's gone is it is kind of odd and one thing that we've had a number of listeners get in contact with us on is when can they see a trailer oh right yeah it probably will be at the latest the first couple of weeks of the new year because it has to have the same amount of post-production as the main movie. So it has to have colour grading. It has to have sound design. We could rush something out that would be a bit um, not the greatest quality, but we don't want to do that. So the next few weeks at the latest, yeah. Okay, will you be putting music on that as well that you'd have to specially yeah, Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's it, yeah. We've got special music written for the trailer. 
you basically have to treat it like a, a mini film. So it's it takes a lot more time than uh, people realize as well. Yeah. Well, um, more time than you realized, Phil. I mean, are you, yeah. are you, oh, right. Yeah. So you're quite startled by, oh, I thought I'd done this and now I've got to do all this as well. Okay. It's a learning process. Yes. So you've got a couple more months yet of being really busy on this, Phil? Uh, yeah, at least till March, probably. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. Well, when you've got a trailer ready, let us know and we'll get that out for our listeners to be able to go in and have a look at that. Absolutely. I, I will say uh, there's a poster out by now, which uh, people will be able to see if they look on the Last Chances Facebook page. That's just been approved, the official movie poster, which is progress, which is nice. Excellent. Well, we'll put a link we'll into that. that. One other thing I'd just briefly like to mention, because I saw on YouTube, and, and, and thank you for pointing me in the direction of it, uh, your your first film at Dawn, which I think is an excellent piece of work. Yeah, I saw that as oh. well. I was very impressed. Oh, thank you. And again, if our listeners want to have a look at that, we'll put the link into the show notes for them yeah. to be able to go in and have a quick look at that uh, feature. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, thank you. Particularly with everything else that's going on around World War One at the moment, I think um, it's definitely worth a look. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was uh, my first time on a film set. Anything else you want to add about Last Chances, Phil? We're still aiming for the premiere in May. Um, we're going to aim for picture lock, as they call it, in April, at the very latest. It seems a long time away. But uh, it, it will be the top level quality that on a cinema screen. So the premiere should be quite exciting. And you guys are all invited, of course. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. We were hoping you'd keep repeating that. <laughs> yes, so yeah, don't forget yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all about us. Yes. <laughs> me, me. Me, me. But... So what is picture lock? That sounds... That is when absolutely everything is in place. You've got your music. You've got your every single little sound effect. You've got your color grading. You could basically put it on a cinema screen and people think it's a finished feature film. So that's picture lock. Yeah, I've only written that fairly recently. But um, until you've got that, your film's not really... You can't really do much with it. Okay. So you have to have every element in place. Right. Um, it takes takes a long time yes especially with a feature film I mean, i've done short films before but obviously with a feature film the thing is going to take a lot longer yeah but yeah so it shouldn't be well it will be a while but not not that long really yeah oh, that'd be brilliant i mean we'll be speaking again next month because we've got our new pod short series of features director on director we'll pick that up with you in january and we look forward to speaking to you again then so that'd be great happy new year to you phil yeah happy new happy year, new year mate. happy new year Really looking forward to seeing this in 2019. Thank you, Phil. Okay, Graham, over to you for your wrap-up movie news section of the year. Jeff, I've said this many times before, you're a bastard. I thought when I burnt the movie news section last month, that would be the last I would have heard of Mel Gibson. But no, like some variation of the monkey's paw, he's back again. Absolutely. I thought you would want to give this to our listeners. Think of it as the last of the mince pies of the festive season. <laughs> oh, Gibson off. Okay, listeners, as you know, I have had to speak about Mel Gibson many, many, many bloody times over the last year. Let's talk about release dates for a few more of these films. And no, Jeff, I will not be reviewing any of them. First up is The Long Delayed, The Professor and the Madman, about James Murray, played by Gibson, who put together the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary. This sounds like a belter. It also stars Sean Penn, Natalie Dormer and Jeremy Irvine of War Horses fame. 
The delay was caused by a lawsuit Mel Gibson brought against the filmmakers after a key sequence wasn't filmed in Oxford. Yes, you heard me right. Last July, the American courts fined in the filmmakers' favour and now the film can be seen. In January, The Professor and the Madman will be released in Portugal and shortly after that in Russia. Considering it's about an English dictionary, it's odd there are no UK or American release dates. On a plus side, that means I don't have to watch it ever. Next up, following festival screenings in the autumn, is Dragged Across Concrete. Go on, Neil. You know you want to say it again. It'd be good if he was dragged across concrete. (laughs) I never get bored of that joke. Uh, Dragged Across Concrete is a violent story about corrupt cops played by Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. As this is from the director of Bone Tomahawk, you wouldn't be surprised to hear that violence is unflinching in this movie. And, yet again, I am pleased to say there is no British release date. The movie releases in Australia in February and again in Russia in April. The Russians seem to like Mel. It's probably a role model for Putin. (laughs) After that, next on the Gibson release calendar for 2019 is Boss Level. This science fiction actioner has Mel, who stars alongside Michelle Yeoh and Naomi Watts, as a soldier caught in a programme where he is constantly reliving his own death. I know that feeling, Mel. It happens every month when I have to read (laughs) stuff about you. The film is due to open in America in August. There is, I am pleased to report, no British release date as yet. Not even a Russian one. That's it for known release dates. His other films, War Pigs and Waldo, are currently shooting, and after that he starts directing the film Destroyer about the USS Laffey. On a really good news front, filming of The Six Billion Dollar Man has been scrapped for now. That's what what I call a late Christmas present. You do realise, Graham, you could cover this subject on Mastermind. (laughs) That, along with your other favourite... Gerard Butler. Oh, good grief, no. But I'll save his update for a future movie news. As I said before, Jeff Gibson off. Neil, restore some sanity, please. Will do, Graham. Let's look at some of the other films we have first reported on in movie news. I'll give you some dates for your diary as to when they'll be shown in the UK. I'm not so sure about Russian openings. First up, one Jeff is looking forward to. He wears the clothes and lists the original as one of his favourite soundtracks. It's the latest Shaft film, Son of Shaft. Hey, what's up, my brother Neil? That was wrong on so many levels. Son of Shaft, which stars Jesse T. Usher, Samuel Jackson and Richard Roundtree, opens in UK cinemas on 14th of June. If, when you're in the cinema... You see an old white guy trying to wear hip clothes and shades that went out of fashion half a century ago. Say hello to Jeff. Yeah, he won't be the only one shafted in a minute. Next up is a film we've mentioned a couple of times. Greyhound is the first of a number of World War II naval adventures which will open next year. Tom Hanks and Elizabeth Shute star in this film version of C.S. Forrester's story about an American naval commander battling it out on the Atlantic convoy runs. You do realise we'll be back to that after Brexit, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this movie, although I'm surprised there's been no trailer as yet. 
Good point. Fingers crossed this one will have been worth waiting for, as hopefully will the other naval battle feature, Midway, which is due to open on November the 8th, which is an all-star cast, including Luke Evans, Woody Harrelson, Dennis Quaid and Aaron Eckhart. As this is directed by Roland Emmerich, the man behind such films as Independence Day, The Day After Tomorrow and 2012, it'll certainly be spectacular. Oh, 2012, stupidest movie ever. Hang on. I've got a special place for all Emmerich films in my Blu-ray collection. Yeah, nowhere near the science you just, part. You just buy all of them, don't you? The neutrinos are evolving. Oh, God. Independence Day, one of the greats. <laughs> Another one for the diary, the untitled Danny Boyle, Richard Curtis movie, which we confidently predict will get a title of All You Need Is Love. This 70s set musical fantasy, which has a great cast, including Lily James and Kate McKinnon, opens on the 28th of June. Is that the one where it's a sort of alternative history where the Beatles never became famous? That's it. Is it? Yeah. I should know that because it's my... My news. <laughs> well, yeah, and also you it's saw It's about the, that, by the way. Yeah, you, you saw one of the singers in concert, didn't you, last year? Ed Sheeran? <laughs> very good. Yeah, yeah, I saw him yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't very good. Another film we've spoken at length about, the Fast and Furious spin-off Hobbs and Shaw, will open on the 2nd of August. A good time to go on holiday. And finally, for the movie news, Jungle Cruise which also stars Dwayne Johnson, along with Emily Blunt, has been moved back to 2020. Phew! OK, let's move on to another review of the year. I've been waiting for this. Lucy's review of the year. I wonder how many horror films that I am never going to watch are going to be in this lot. Did you have a good Christmas, Lucy? Yeah, it was lovely. Thank you very much. It was nice to go back home and see everybody. How was yours? Oh, very nice. Thank you very much. Yes, very quiet. Hi, Lucy. I have to ask, any glasses of white wine over the festive period? Oh. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's a silly question. Yeah, it was, actually. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. We all know the answer to that one. <laughs> well, excellent. So before we start with your end-of-year roundup, could you please tell us and the listeners about the Korean Film Festival you attended yeah, of course. So um, I only discovered this festival since moving down here, but turns out it was the 13th one they've ever done. Oh, so they've been doing it for a while now. So it's actually quite an established film festival in, in, in London. Um, and it runs throughout November. So it starts in London and then it moves up the country. So yeah. they do ones in Sheffield, Manchester, Edinburgh and a few other cities up, up the country as well. So it's nice that they take kind of away like, and so everybody can experience it as well. But obviously all the premieres happen in London as they would. So it's a mix of new films and sort of like Korean classics that, you know, would be so, would go down well in their sort of film history and like maybe directors that we haven't heard about here and that kind of thing. So it was really educational for me. And I, I saw both new, old, I saw 35mm, I saw HD, I saw so many fantastic films and, you know, hearing people talk about like their experiences and like the Q&As, just, it was a fantastic experience all around. And yeah, it's just, it's so insightful for someone who has never visited Asia and, and certainly hasn't visited South Korea either, like just to see a, an entirely new sort of like lens on things, you know. Really, really insightful. And it made me want to go to South Korea. I really want to go and visit there now. So yeah, just I think I will. A, don't take a wrong turn and end up in the north. 
Absolutely, yeah. It was, it's funny you should say that because um, some of the films kind of touched on um, like North Korean defectors and that kind of thing as well. So it can be very har- harrowing in that sense, but it's just wonderful to, to learn about it through film. And I think it's a great way to, you know, see because their, their kind of topic, their sort of title for this festival was A Slice of Everyday Life. Yeah. So it was meant to be sort of, you know, kind of kitchen sink cinema, kind of family dramas through a South Korean lens. So something that we wouldn't know as Westerners, but obviously we, you know, like are, are watching it and we kind of feel part of it. So it's very much a sort of everyday thing for them, but it's just fascinating for us. And I just, I just I fell in love with it. And I've, I've like, you know, got a list of things in my backlog that I need to review, but I would really recommend it if you're interested in learning about more like, you know, world cinema, because this is a festival that I didn't, like I said, didn't even know about until recently. And it was just had such a great time. So I'm, I'm fascinated mm. now. How does it mm. treat North Korean defectors in the films you saw? Does it see them as pathos, comedy? How does it go about that? I'd say respectful. And it's actually quite, it's quite upsetting in places because a lot of the time it's, I mean, I, I will admit there was only, I think, one or two films that did touch on this, but it's very much a sort of, you know, sympathy for them but looking at it through how society might judge them in a negative way because you know certainly several years ago people would have you know because they have a different accent you know they're very different and and they're not used to sort of these kind of people and they're still a bit sort of nervous that they would you know be spies or something you know it's a very scary time for them but certainly through the one that I saw it was very respectful in that sense and it was more to look at them with sympathy rather than judging them which is good so I, I do think there's a lot of progress there no it it was it was just wonderful you know and just the, the relationship between the two um areas was was interesting as well I would like to say more about defectors there was only like one or two like I say but from what I saw it was a very respectful and honest view of how they would be treated so it was, so it was good anything mm. really really jump off the screen at you any if you got any that you were really impressed with yeah, do you want titles or do you just want yeah, sort yeah. of... Yeah, and, and yeah, in English, sure. please, Lucy, because we'd never understand the, it otherwise. The, the, they're all in English. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Good, good <laughs> Yeah, and, and I, I wouldn't be able to... If I said Korean on this podcast, it would be horrendous. I wouldn't even try and pronounce it. Um, so the, the opening film, Micro Habitat, was a great one and was directed by a woman as well, um, which was really cool. And she was there for the opening gala. Oh, she was wow. there to introduce the film, so... This was her first feature length, I believe. She'd done, like, sort of TV and stuff. This was her first, like, big film. And essentially it followed a woman who could no longer pay her rent because the rent had gone up, but she didn't want to give up her whiskey and cigarettes, so she basically just ended up travelling around and staying with friends, and it was kind of a (laughs) fingers-up-to-the-system almost. And it was, whilst sounds silly in its sort of, you know, concept, the execution was wonderful. And it was kind of about how she hadn't hadn't grown up, and she was still a bit of a bit of an outsider, drinking a whiskey and having a cigarettes. And her friends had all like grown up and had families and stuff. And it was about her relationships with them and and how she was a guest in their home, and they were very different, you know. And things had changed, but she was kind of stuck. And it was just this wonderful portrait of one woman. And yeah, I just fell in love with it. I thought it was so quirky and honest and fun, with a little bit of emotion in there as well. Um, so yeah, microhabitat. That that's the one that I really recommend. All right, um, something certainly very, to, very good. Sounds a bit mm. Mike Lee, actually. 
Yeah, it's... Uh... We don't talk about Mike Lee. No, no, no. These other <laughs> stuff. God, you still got your Peter Lou. Oh, I hate you, Peter. <laughs> Peter Lou bigotry. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> so, so is that something you think they could turn up on Netflix or something like that? I would hope so. I think, you know, it, it's performing well um, globally from what I've seen. You know, on IMDb, it's got a, a decent score as well. Um, so hopefully it would be nice. That's my concern about this festival is because it's quite, you know, indie and, and new. I'm worried that a lot of the films will be neglected and people won't be able to see them unless people like me and not, um, other bloggers speak about it. So that's what I'm trying to do and trying to get it out there <laughs> and encourage people to seek it out. It's great. Isn't it wonderful that we've all got Twitter and blogs and, yeah. and podcasts mm-hmm. so we can now get the, yeah. this information out there? Yeah, and, and Exactly, exactly. And speaking of Twitter and blogs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just thrown over to Graham. You know, where's the best place to get you on the internet, Lucy? What's your blog? Oh yeah, we've never mentioned this actually. No, no. no. So, that, so sorry. I'm, I, I'm mainly no, it's, it's absolutely fine. Don't worry. So I'm mainly on um, Twitter at lgth blogs. That's the initials of my blog. Or you can just type in LucyGoesToHollywood.com and it will come up. But it's mainly Twitter that I'm on. If I'm honest, very active on there. So okay. Thank you. Yeah. And we'll put that we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, as well. that, yeah, we'll get that <laughs> no link problem. in there as well. So moving on, uh, mm-hmm. if you have to sum up the year of twenty eighteen, what are your thoughts, good or bad? Movie wise, I'm talking about. <laughs> put it in perspective. <laughs> Just in general, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, um, movie wise, I think it's been good on the whole. Honestly, you know, I think we've had such a, a wonderfully diverse range of films that have come out, and obviously there have been some ones that you know let us down or you know, bombed at the box office. But fundamentally, I think it's been a great year, actually. There's been a lot that I've been excited about. And most of my experiences in the cinema have been positive rather than negative. Yeah, yeah. Do you think the Me Too movement, which is, you know, it's now gone through its first full year, has Mm -hmm. that had any impact on 2018 or not? I'd say so. I think, you know, we're starting to sort of wake up and and listen. And um, it was interesting that you just kind of backtracking to the Korean Film Festival, there was a few films by women that did touch on that um, sort of movement as well. So it's just nice to see it, you know, having an impact on the film industry. I think I think it's a positive thing, you know, yeah. and I think we are starting to see a lot more women speaking out. And there was a wonderful interview with uh, Viola Davis recently. I think you guys retweeted that about her relationship with Liam Neeson and Widows oh, yes. and how yeah. and how it was just seen as normal, you yes, know, yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't tokenistic. There was nothing there was no statement about it. It was just, it just was. Yeah. And I think that was just such a wonderful interview. And I just think that that was, it just, that, that's a highlight for me. And I, I love that. And I haven't seen Widows and I'm very sad about that, but I will. Um, yeah, no, no. Just seeing it, that interview was wonderful. Yeah, no, the relationship was good. The fact that he's a psychotic mm. um, criminal is another matter altogether. But, <laughs> of um, course. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, it was, uh, yeah, it was really good. And it was a good article. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. Yep. So, Lucy, the big moments arrived. What were your top five films of 2018? Okay, so my number five is Ghost Stories by Andy Nyman. Yeah. Which I... was very, very good. Yeah, yeah. I, Have you guys I seen that? that? I've seen that. Mm. Right. right, you're asking these two, have they watched a film called Ghost Stories? <laughs> I admire your optimism. Well, it's a, it's a gamble. <laughs> I thought it was good. The bit that impressed me the most was the first story with that guy. Who's the guy from the Fast Show that's in it? Um, uh, well, you're looking at us. Yeah, sorry. Paul, Paul, White, Paul Whitehouse. Paul Whitehouse, thank you. Yeah, and I thought that it. story, particularly that scene in the pub, and then when the horror oh. escalates when he's the night watchman, 
I thought was oh, really good. Oh, I was... That got me. I was on edge. That was a scene that made me, like... Nearly embarrassed myself in the cinema. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I was on edge, and my boyfriend was just sat there unfazed, and I was like, but oh, it, was, no, it, it was great. <laughs> it, it freaked me out when that thing was sticking their finger in his mouth, and I'm thinking... Yes. I have no idea where Hang this on. is going Just now. Note to self, never, <laughs> never watch this. Yeah, you'll have nightmares. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but the, it, it is really clever because so there's clever. three stories, and in the end, when they all come together, yeah. mm-hmm. well, I don't want to spoil it. I certainly don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it and is listening. No, of course. But, but you met that writer and that guy, didn't you? You were saying in the Fright oh, Fest last week. Yeah. yeah, I met him at Fright Fest, yeah, and it was a shame because... I remember ghost stories. It was a stage play before it was a film, yeah. um, in case mm-hmm. people don't know. So I missed a chance to see that when it was huge, like when it was when Andy Nyman was at Fright Fest and Ghost Stories was there. So I missed a chance to see it. And I, I regret that because I really want to see it now, seeing the film, like how they do it on the stage. Because I think it's going to be a lot like, you know, like the woman in black kind yeah. of. Yes. How ev- everybody reports on that going, oh, it was the scariest thing ever. And. Yeah, and everyone I've said has said that, like, they've left out their skin watching it, like, live. Just how they would translate that on the stage. And if I get the chance to see it, I will, because that's going to be a whole level of, of horror that, you know, I've never experienced before. But no, just a fantastic, like, bit of bit of film, and, you know, it's very references to things like Rosemary's Baby and that kind of thing, just so, so good. Like, love that. Yes. Yeah, and, and, really, I will, really like that. and I will say, without giving the game away on it, the star mm. who's in disguise, I didn't mm-hmm. see that at all. I didn't well, nope. I didn't suss that at all. thought that was very Not at clever. all. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Good shout. Number four, then. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. No. It's, it's, her, it's hereditary. Oh, right, okay. Oh, oh, good. No, you stick to your guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, you, don't you worry about this big, bad monster sitting in this kitchen. <laughs> see, anybody else spoke about Graham like that, I'd be oh. upset. Oh, yes. <laughs> Self-delusion, Jeff. Uh, mm. Yeah, and I did yeah. notice you tweeted out the other day about her winning an award somewhere, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice, nice one, Lucy. That Rub it good. in. Yeah. She's mainly the reason that I am putting this in my list because I just thought Tony Collette is, is fantastic in that film. Loved her performance. Like, she really terrified me and just, just everything. I know I've babbled on about Heredity in a previous podcast, so I'll keep it short, but... No, I just think it's it's a fantastic um, debut film and really, really liked it and got scared and loved it. And Tony Collette is great. There we go. Yeah, that's mm. the, the, the one thing I said. For <laughs> me, I could put mm. up with most of it other than that finale and it just really lost it. And But but mm. I do think, and, I, and I, I'm going to come back in the new year to talk to you about age and horror films because that's a point okay. and, that, and that point that you said a couple of months ago has really stayed with me and I, I'd really like to discuss that further and I think Hereditary will come back in and then and who knows mm-hmm. Graham and Neil might have watched it by then <laughs> dream on okay um, number three <laughs> number three is a film that I reviewed recently called Shoplifters um, it won oh, the Palm Door at Cannes yes um, get an awful lot of press yeah. It is stunning. If you guys get the chance to see it, I would recommend that because it's been such an emotional roller coaster for me when I got the chance to see it. Like it's heartwarming and heartbreaking, and just this wonderful portrayal of family life and poverty in Tokyo, and it's just stunning. Okay, what's the the plot of the film? So the basic premise of the film is it's this um, family. It's like an intergenerational family. So you have the grandmother and some children and. 
and you know their partners and stuff and they all live in this shack in Tokyo and they, they have nothing basically so they, they go out and you know they, they work very 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 minimum wage jobs and some of them shoplift by trade almost it's, it's become a skill that they've passed down to the younger generations because it's the only thing they know okay. because they're so un, uneducated so the only thing that they can really do in their mind is, is steal and, and, and provide for their family and they don't don't see a problem with that so so that's their sort of existence and one day they stumble across a little child out in the rain um on her own she's about three or four i'd say and they take her in and thinking oh gosh you know we've got we've got to feed and clothe this child you know and and they realize she has bruises on her arms and they think oh my god this is deeper than we thought like we're gonna we're gonna look after her we're gonna this isn't kidnapping because she's being abused we want to look after her so it becomes a story of this little girl bonding with this bunch of strangers like family and obviously the, the police are out looking for this little girl and they have to hide her and they have to, you know, treat her like one of theirs. And she learns how to shoplift as well. And it's just, it, it's so upsetting, you know, and I don't want to give any spoilers, but it's it's harrowing, honestly. Was, you know, it's all these deep themes. <laughs> is that on release in yeah. London? Uh, limited. Yeah, okay. it's such a shame. Yeah, well, so, uh, we're stuffed then, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's... It, I'm very upset that it hasn't had the release that it should have. Yeah. And um, I, w- I was lucky enough to go to a press screening of it. That's the, the reason I've seen it. But I, I think it's very limited of, of where you can actually see it. Yeah, but would. no, it's very hard to sum it up without giving spoilers. But that's essentially where the, the story leads and, and how they bond with this child and how, you know, they really were in a position to look after another mouth, but they did because they didn't want to leave her out there in the cold and it's it's i, I cried a lot obviously um it's just oh god Sounds it really like packs a punch what's next next is the incredibles 2 <laughs> um Gee, i so missed I, that off my top 10 mm, i thought is i thought mm, it was brilliant but mm, i couldn't really put it in my top 10 it's weird isn't it you yeah carry on you loved it i, I, I did thought, yeah. i thought it was very good i had a couple of issues with it but i thought it was very good mm-hmm Sorry, Jeff, carry yeah. on. Jeff, you didn't like it at all, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't like it that much, no. Oh, that's carry. a shame. Yeah. I love the first Incredibles. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we did our review of it earlier this year, uh, Neil raved about it, and mm-hmm. I, I was quite happy to go around the little pin burst in his bubble. <laughs> so so what is it about Incredibles 2 that worked for you? Yeah, so the Incredibles, as a child, like it was one of my top Disney films. You know, loved it, thought it was great. Obviously, it was 2004 it came out, so... Mm-hmm we've had such a massive gap between the two. So when I went in, I thought, okay, is it going to like, you know, just cash on it for like, you know, franchise sake? Is it going to be good? Is it going to what? So it, it was the fact that it, it literally picked up where it left off yes. all these years ago. One second so, later, yeah. Exactly, amazing. yeah. So it went straight from the underminer back right. to the underminer. <laughs> yeah. And I got so excited, like sitting down, you know, as a, as a 23-year-old, sitting down there and seeing that again, I was like, yes! It's back. <laughs> this is what I remember from when I was a child, you know, and I got so excited. And it was just that feeling of we're back again. The pars are back. You know, I'm going to relive my childhood for like two hours. It's going to be fantastic. I thought it was funny. It was great to see Jack Jack again and, and see him as a more central character as the baby. You know, he was, you know, and you, and you have to look at it from a child's perspective as well and, and see how that could be quite funny for, for children. It was quite slapstick. <laughs> but I, even I laughed. I just thought it was so wonderful. And I, th- I thought they got it right. And I thought the villain was great too. I thought it was all great. <laughs> Honestly, I could talk about it for ages. No, that's, that's great. Fantastic. I mean, I, to, to be honest, I love the short. Wow. Yes, oh, oh, wasn't was that great? Uh, yeah. And yeah. there was that moment in the short 
that I thought, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Literally, yeah. everybody yeah. just like went quiet yeah. in my screen, and everyone was like, "What?" Do you hear about screenings in San Francisco? No, because they've got a huge, obviously, um, American Asian population. So mm-hmm. that moment comes where she eats the bow. All the you know Caucasians in the audience start laughing. All the Asians start crying. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So it culturally that moment hits you in, in completely different ways. Me, I was just bemused and befuddled and <laughs> yeah. trying to work out what the hell am I watching. Yeah. But yeah, no, that was good. I mean, I, I respect everybody's opinion because you all even mine, me, even <laughs> Neil's in this instance. Oh, that's that's nice. You, you all liked Incredibles too. I think for me, it's a good, it's an okay film. It just didn't add anything more to the themes than the original did for me. And and I, I just couldn't connect over it. But Aww, that's my failing, sad. not everybody else's, because everybody else loved it. Yep. I just mm. anything with Edna Mode in it was just oh, yeah. she's my hero. And there's a lot more of her, isn't there? <laughs> there's that? a lot more of her in this one. I just <laughs> she makes me cry with laughter. Yes. She's so great. <laughs> Have you heard about the um D V D Blu ray release? No. The, it has you know the bit where she looks after the baby yes. Jack Jack for the night. Yeah, that is the short film that's been created <gasps> and added in. Really? Yeah. Oh, I need this. <laughs> <laughs> right, order, ordering it now. now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going on Amazon right now. <laughs> the wonder of Amazon. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. Mm. All right. Big build up. Drum roll. What's your top <laughs> film of the year, Lucy? Top film of the year is Searching because it really had an impact on me. Oh, wow. Good shout. Yeah, yeah, good one. Mm. Wow, yes. Yeah. It's just, it's a prime example of social media done right. You know, it's everything that Unfriended and all of those things wish they could be. Yeah. And they and they wish they could do, you know, webcams and social the way that Searching did. Um, and I, and I, I work in social media as, as a day job, so I can become quite critical of how it's used in film, but I just thought it was fantastic. You know, I just... You know, I didn't guess the ending at all. Didn't guess the twist. No, you know, I, I was, I was, I was with John Cho the whole way. I just thought his performance as a, as a, well, not grieving father, but you know, sort of worried father was was fantastic and, and plausible and just felt raw and real. And I think a lot of that was because it was so webcam focused and you know, you felt like you were watching a real person. Um, I, I agree. It was just I, I great. thought it was. Mm. I thought it was really. I mean. After you know forty-two years in IT, I thought, oh mm-hmm. god, this is going to be all full of the usual yeah. errors. But when he started chasing down our passwords, I thought, no, nope, that's exactly the way you do it. That's and they mm-hmm. they thought of everything, and I thought this is well laid out, and they've yep. done all this attention to detail. And I thought, and I was totally hooked. I was mm-hmm. about ten minutes in. I was right. This is really clever. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. was just totally impressed. And it shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't have. You staring <laughs> at a computer screen for, what, two hours almost, it shouldn't have worked. But I was totally, totally captivated by all of it. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was, it, it just it just blew me away. It really did. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I don't know, are we doing, are we doing spoilers or not? <laughs> no, um, the other thing is, we only went to see it because you raved about it, didn't it? Oh really? I'm yeah, yeah. Sure actually, that's did. right. Oh, yeah, that's we went it. to see it because of you, Lucy. Yeah, yeah. So oh, you're to blame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad. I think I, I literally gave it five stars over on Jump Cut. Yeah, yeah. I loved it so much. <laughs> it, it's just it's going to stay with me for a long time, and I can't wait to get my hands on the Blu-ray. Okay. Well, that's brilliant. Yeah, you're that's, right. that's a great list. 
absolutely first mm. rapist, to be quite honest. Um, <laughs> so final question, as we're still in the festive period, any film mm-hmm. watching plans for the end of the year? Yeah, so um, I'm going to see The Favourite um, at the New Leicester Square. They had their big revamp, obviously, so it's um, their brand new, like, looks audience thing. I'm going to see it there. Yeah, that'll be nice. That's an event for me because Leicester Square Cinema is very luxurious. So, yeah, um, and, and everyone's raving about that. Yes, <laughs> and everyone's raving about the favorite. And I thought, you know what? I'll see it because I've seen his other films like The Lobster and stuff. So we'll yeah. see what it's like. I'm really bad at pronouncing his name, so I won't. I'm really sorry. I just no, can't no, do I it very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm also seeing the very controversial The House That Jack Built as well. Um, on on behalf of Jump Cut, this is the one that got loads of can walk out. Yeah, I know the one. It's the one with them. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so it's the uncut version also. So, so we'll see how I get on with that. Yeah. Well, have a have but, a great New Year, Lucy. Yeah, that's really going to yeah. put you in the right frame of mind. Yeah. So you'll spend yeah. January in therapy. Oh, <laughs> Apparently so. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> First rate top so, wine. So, good. so thank you very much for sharing. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no, definitely like shoplifters out of all of those hundred percent just wonderful film. Okay, um and nice. Uh, nice to see a non English language film win the Palm Door as well. Yes. So that yeah. was nice. Yeah. 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 Really, really great. Oh actually actually but before we all sign off for the night, um I was gonna ask you, do you have a worst film of the year? I'm just curious, just to be negative for a minute. <laughs> okay. Like what is your worst film of the year? <laughs> um Peter well, what, Mine's easy, Peterloo. Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> loathe it. If I had to pick something else, uh, Equalizer 2. Oh, yeah, really? that was horrible, like that. wasn't it? I like that. I went to London to watch oh, that. Crap. No, my son. it was awful. <laughs> Me and my son bonded over that. Bonded. That's probably the only good thing in, that, in relation to that film. Because <laughs> what was happening, you might have been bonding in the seats, but on the screen was crap. It was terrible, wasn't it? It was just everything. Go on, then, have... Neil. What was yours? Uh, the Grinch was pretty awful. What? Um, I thought the Grinch was terrible. <laughs> what? Um, Happy it... Time Murders for oh, the most disappointing oh, film. Oh, yeah, that was shit. That was the Meg was probably my oh, worst like film Meg? of the year. No. You like all the, these the, sort the of stupid... The Meg was just stupid fun. It was. It wasn't... Yeah. 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 That's um I am yeah. just going through April now and then Peter Rabbit, that was oh, ooh, absolutely I like Peter shocking. Rabbit as well. That was crap. Um, <laughs> and the um and the Sky One Monster Family, which came out only in oh, no, Sky no. with no yeah. cinemas, yeah, and that, there was that, a reason for that, that because was it was shit. Shit. Yeah, absolutely Jason Isaacs was Dracula is the only good thing in Den it. of Thieves um, terrible. King yeah, of Den Thieves is my number one worst film of the year. Absolute rubbish. Hated King of Thieves so much. Yes. Like, I was seething when I came out of the, the yeah. cinema. You're talking... Like, what was that? We're at cross purposes. <laughs> Neil's talking Den of Thieves, and you're talking oh. King of Thieves. Oh, Two sorry, different, sorry, I meant Yeah, him. Gerard right. Butler. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this yeah. is a Gerard ah. Butler. Yeah, because, you know, I've been caught in the news columns where I make Graham read out all Mel Gibson stories. <laughs> Yeah, because he hates Mel Gibson so much. Well, I'm going on to Gerard Butler next year because I hate him as well. I think yeah. it's crap. <laughs> People who should not be actors. Yeah, just yeah. My, my ambition is he's, to get us somewhere that I can get Graham to a, meet Mel Gibson. <laughs> Gerard Butler is a bricklayer. He should never have yeah. done anything else. He was in Phantom oh of the Opera. I don't care. He's <laughs> had a couple of good films, and that's it. Three hundred. Oh, oh God Almighty. What's wrong with 300? A homoerotic fantasy. No, it's not. It's a Zack Snyder film. You're prejudiced against Jack Snyder. <laughs> yeah. 
It's, uh, do you like men in leather? I mean, I, I'm not judging. I'm just asking a question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good film. It's I like shit. that. <laughs> Total and utter so what was your shit. worst film of the year, Lucy? It was King of Thieves. King yeah. of Thieves. Yeah. <laughs> I, I misheard you and thought you said King of Thieves. I was but uh, no, King of Thieves was. Did you guys see it? I nearly saw it. It was on the senior oh. screen last Thursday, but I had to go somewhere. It's so. so bad. It's like the worst thing I've ever seen. Like honestly, it was just it, the camera work was shoddy. Oh, like you had all, you, you, you had all of these wonderful actors, and they were shit somehow. You know, when they were just like, you know, they were working with a script to the best of their ability. But if you have a bad script, you can't really redeem it, really. No, um, no, I agree. And it's like, how can you take such a good concept and mess it up? <laughs> so angry you know you know when a film genuinely makes you angry you're like yes. oh my yeah, god I do. Yeah. like, like I, I avoided P- peter lou because of you guys yeah you're welcome it's a public service yeah, we um, offer. yeah. <laughs> so lucy thank you very much for your time and thank you for some fantastic films there have a happy new year yeah, Happy New Year to you guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Lucy. I will try and seek out some of those Korean films. They sounded excellent. Jeff, I notice how you quiz Lucy on drinking. We're now going to move on to discuss our top ten of the year, and by the end of that session, you were far from sober, although you did make more sense than usual. Fanfare, Graham, please. Thanks, Neil. And I'll have a top of that festive red wine, please, or if not, another beer. Shall I get you another vat of wine from the cellar for you? <laughs> yes, let's send a surf down there. <laughs> for any listeners that are still remaining, we'll explain how this section works. We all listed our top ten movies of the year individually, and I aggregated them together. So we're going to go through the films in reverse order and try to give some reasoning as to why they're in our top ten. In the interest of not adding unduly to anybody's stress... I will say now there are a few surprises in this list. Let's see where we go. And you as listener, we look forward to your comments. Neil, over to you for the film at number 10. Number 10, these A Star Is Born. Bradley Cooper directs and stars along with Lady Gaga in this latest screen version of The Rise of the Music Star and The Fall of Another. Wonderful performances with intimate direction from Cooper. As an aside, we saw this the evening we went to see The Last Chances set. Both Jeff and I were impressed by this feature, and as a result, it made our top ten. Graham, it, you didn't place this one. What are your thoughts on the film, please? Well, it was in my um, honourable mention section. There were yeah. just so many good films, it just didn't make it in. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought, Cooper, uh, this is his first film he's directed it is always film. brilliant yeah. a piece yeah. of direction he, he took over after clint eastwood backed out i suppose you couldn't fit in your top 10 because all those bloody superhero movies that, were that was probably year. it yeah. there was just so much other good stuff in there jeff yeah i i really really enjoyed it i mean i think i had 21 films in my list of excellent things i've seen this year and um this one just didn't make it into the top 10 great songs she was stunning i mean i thought i was really impressed with her acting ability i know she, she can sing and she's she a managed performer. to she managed to play the part of a, a a singer that was just singing in nightclubs not yep. really not really getting anywhere and and um, bradley cooper played the parts of a rock star extremely good i thought 
All in all, I thought it was an excellent movie. Yeah. It just, I expected nothing. And yeah. uh, I was pleasantly surprised, very surprised, yeah. and came out smiling, which is yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, no, all the way through it. I mean, the cast were excellent. You had, you know, performers like Andrew Dice Clay and mm. Sam Elliott giving great... Mm-hmm. I mean, Sam Elliott in particular, yeah. playing oh, yeah. Bradley Cooper's brother in the film, was just tremendous. Yeah. Uh, the music was excellent. I think, you know, the, the intimacy of the... Particularly the first half of the film and the key moment in the film where Bradley Cooper takes Lady Gaga out on stage for the concert, which, uh, which was filmed in Glastonbury. Mm. I... I yeah, amazing. Really, really good film. It's similar. I mean, the whole the storyline is so... It's, it's a classic now, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. a, I mean, Incredibles 2, the same thing. Yeah. I mean, they, they're singers bringing on... You know, they're both absolutely fantastic as uh, superheroes and then the and then Mrs. Parr gets the uh, the job yeah. and gets taken away and starts doing other things and he starts getting jealous. And lots of films have the same sort of themes. Yeah. Great film, almost on a par with the Streisand version. No, nowhere near. No, far better. Much, much better than the Streisand version. I like the the fact that he was more worried, uh, Bradley Cooper's character rather, was more worried about the effects of the music industry on her because he'd seen the effects of the music industry on him. So it was more... Um, that rather than jealousy at all. He was just really... Yeah, it was jealousy. I mean, he was a bit jealous because she... She, he wanted her for himself yeah. rather than being taken away and then sang, singing songs which mm. he didn't like. He wanted her to become that sort of, well, part of his band, yeah, and exactly. part of him yeah. and his world. I disagree with that, actually. Really? Uh, yeah, and I think I think for the, the reason. Well, no, no, no. For the reasons <laughs> that <your> first, when, <laughs> when he was dependent on drugs and and and, and drink. Then he needed her, and that's when he was pulling her in. The moment he becomes sober, if you look at the last part of the film, he was all set to let her go, and that's where the ending of the film has that almost shock ability because he get, performs the ultimate sacrifice to let her go. Mm. I like the, the ending. I thought it was nicely open-ended. You could take mm. your own interpretation and yeah. stick it on it. No, he's dead, Graham. No, no, no. Yeah, but the reason... <sighs> Yes, we. Yes, he's definitely dead. Oh, yes. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Just because it didn't get into my top ten doesn't mean I fell asleep in the bloody movie. No, I realise he's dead in the garage at the end, yes. But what was the motivation? What were the reasons? What led him to that point yeah. and that, those sorts of well, things? Well, that guy goaded him into it, didn't he? Yes. The oh, British yeah. guy. Because they've got to have a British villain in themselves. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's what we're here for. It- Pulled him straight back into his uh, despair and uh, yeah. and drugs yeah. and, and everything. And, and yeah. this comes back to what I'm saying about he made the sacrifice, knowing that he would end up back down that path at some point, and he would take it down with him. Yeah. So yeah, no, 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 very good, very good indeed. Right. Can we move on? Yep. Yes. Okay. Good. In joint eighth position, uh, we have a film I reviewed earlier this year and absolutely loved: Ready Player One. Steven Spielberg has made an excellent screen version of Ernest Cline's book. Who better than Spielberg to make a fantasy film which has a multitude of references to pop culture in the 1980s? It is exciting, clever and well acted. And as a result, I will never be able to watch The Shining in the same way again. (laughs) Yes, if you're going to. (laughs) If I'm going to watch it anyway. This time around, Neil and I placed it in our uh, respective top tens, but not Jeff. Time hasn't mellowed you on this one, has it, Jeff? No, it wasn't even close to my top ten, to be quite honest. (laughs) It's a great film. It's it's fun. The pop culture references are great. 
but there's no darkness in the world. You know, it's not a, a film like if you take something like E.T., which is a Spielberg film, you know, the Spielberg, another yeah. Spielberg film, you've got there the Keys character and you don't know for a lot of the film what's going on there. And, of course, you've got E.T. not climatising to our atmosphere. Whereas in this, I didn't feel that threat and the real world didn't have it. So the guy that's hunting him, the Ben Mendelsohn character, yep, um, wasn't that much of a threat. Now, I understand in the book it's much more graphic oh, and yeah, much more yeah, violent. And, and, and lots of people die in the yeah, book. Nobody and, dies. Well, they did blow up the stacks. Some yeah. of the stacks in the beginning, just to yeah. try and get him. Yeah, um, but, and that, but that was the only one that they did. And the fact that as soon as you are, um, soon as you go overdrawn in your uh, account with them, they put you in a little box and make you pay it off, which you never actually do because they're constantly fining you yeah. again. I mean, that's pretty nasty. I've mean, got a slight sympathy for what you're saying, Jeff. I thought that the um, two sort of baddies were a wee bit cartoonish. You just didn't get that impression that when you went back to the real world, there was impending threat. Yeah, it looked like ghetto in London, as far as I could see. <laughs> it was filmed in Birmingham, and apparently they didn't need much set dressing. Oh, but, um, yeah. We'll get letters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, only if it gets through the scan. Yeah, it's okay. Indeed. Next one. Okay. So this brings us to our other joint eighth film, Maudy. The true story of artist Maud Adams. It's captivating and totally engrossing. Essentially the relationship between Maud and her husband Everett, with two stunning performances from Sally Hawkins and Ethan Hawke. Graham and I both rated this film very highly, and unfortunately Neil never got the chance to watch it. Is it on your to-watch list now, Neil? Hell yes. You've been going on about it for ages, so it's yes, I amazing. have to watch it now, don't I? I, I think, to, to be but honest... I think, I, I think it genuinely is one of those films I should watch. Yeah. yeah. I think the comment on this, the best one, was Graham's. And he said, you know, after two hours the film's over, can't they just dig it up for another couple of hours? Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, you really got into the characters. I thought it was tremendous. I wanted to see... So, I just wanted to watch so much more of her life. I was thinking, yeah. no, no, you yeah. don't need... This is one, unlike Peter Lou, you know, the, here was a movie which could have done with an extra couple of hours. Mm. Yeah, unlike Peter Lou, that just felt like it was 50 hours long. Yeah. I shall sure. watch it. It was. It is on my list. It absorbs you in... The locale, the the actual, the photographies, the performances are amazing. I mean, Sally Hawkins just fantastic. Yeah, she she really knocked it out of the park, and I'd say a career best from Ethan Hawke as well. Yeah, uh, he was just brilliant and just so obnoxious at the start of the film, and you watch him go through this journey, and it's her influence the whole way through. She don't, he doesn't want her near him in the start of it, and then slowly, 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 uh, she changes him, and it's just brilliant. Yeah, they meld, they become one, essentially. And it's just a stunning piece of work. Yeah, and there's all the lovely little nuances, like when they first start, he pushes her her around on a cart, and she's on the end of the cart, and he's pushing from the other end, and she's, like, facing away from him. And then as the film progresses, she gets to sit on the front of the cart right next to him, and then she turns around and faces him and they're, as they're walking along. It's really quite mm. beautifully done as they go across. The, the scenery is just another actor in the film. It's another presence. It's just brilliant. And there's a little reveal, which I won't spoil for anybody who hasn't seen it, which comes in about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through oh, the film. Yes. And because you're not expecting it to be a film like that, you know, you're just following these characters, that when this bombshell's dropped on you, it just takes the floor out from yeah, underneath of you. It's it re- again, tremendous. Everything about this film is great. You've yeah. got to see it, Neil. 
Okay, I am certainly going to. So, in seventh place, the breadwinner. Personally, this is my film of the year, and we're living through a golden age of animation, Mm. and this is one of the crown jewels. It shows that animation can be used to tell serious adult stories. Set in Afghanistan in 2001, it shows what life is like under Taliban rule. The story is told through the eyes of Parvana, a young girl who in that society would have no rights at all. Grandma Jeff, neither of you had this on your list. What didn't work for you? Well, I got a new encouragement about the Taliban. Not all this stuff was bad. Um, Jesus. <laughs> oh, gee whiz. Yeah, right. OK. Um, which, which, which part of the Taliban philosophy were you primarily attracted to, Jeff? Was oh, it? they're, they're um, dealing with uh, criminals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I, it, it's a good film. It just didn't draw me in as much, I think. To be honest, I had a lot of problems with animation this year. I, I, I didn't think Incredibles 2 was that great either. I could understand what this is doing. I learned something from this film. I just wasn't as absorbed in it as you were, Neil, and, I, and that's my shortcoming. Uh, for me, it's the emotional engagement. I'm really quite taken with the whole thing. It's tender and an inspirational, horrific treatment of of women in particular, but everybody, everybody, everybody that absolutely. isn't absolutely in that, isn't part of the Taliban, gets rough rides. Um, the courage of some people, the defiant feminist spirit, like Persopolis. And and then in the middle of it, you see this landscape of abandoned tanks yeah. And, yeah. A, and a stunning scenery and this horrible, this everything that's wrong with Afghanistan and the Taliban yeah. and everything. It, I really got in a sort of an emotional attachment to yeah. it. I'd agree. I I thought it was a great, great film. And uh, okay, it didn't make my top ten, but it was definitely in my honourable mentions list again with mm. lots of other films. I, I loved it. I thought the animation was excellent, especially yes. because there's there's the main story uh, about the young girl, and there's also she's telling a story within the story, which goes on in the background, and and that was brilliant. But it was just the the way that ordinary people were standing up to this unbelievably terrible regime and everybody was just living in fear and it really came across and plus they were able to tell it in a very interesting and dynamic way mm. which would have probably fallen flat with a, a live action approach to this yeah. I thought it was and she's good. 10 years old yeah. and she's the bravery she shows yes, exactly. yeah. I think this is where cartoons and animation yeah. is, is so good that it manages to do yeah. it, it, can, it can go further in telling these stories sometimes it sets that barrier up between you and the screen if you're watching a 10-year-old girl for real, even if it's an actress mm, going yeah, through yeah. some of this. It would be difficult. Where I think this film has courage, and full credit as well to Angelina Jolie, who's one of the producers yeah. of this mm. film, is it takes a situation that's real. This did, this happened and it mm. shows that... Ta- it's not afraid to take on the Taliban yeah. and this Muslim fundamentalist attitude. Whereas if you look at a lot of mainstream Hollywood films where there are terrorist they're usually white guys in it for a robbery and they're pretending to be terrorists which yeah. just cops out from the real world in that regard this film doesn't do that and, and that is to be commended yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And there were some interesting points in there, you know, that people, the, the thing with the tanks was interesting because there were Russian tanks and American tanks. And, you know, you think, hang on, this country just constantly gets invaded by foreign powers yeah. and sort of all, all the pain ends up being applied to the local people. And they're all rotting away in the <sighs> sand. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure there's a metaphor in there for the problems that the West have caused in Afghanistan. But, yeah, it it was quite a horrific film. And, it, and the end is sort of left open-ended so excellent film i really really enjoyed it and then definitely deserves to be seventh in our list this year um but that very thing is one of the things issues i had with it at the end is that you don't know what the time scale is you know you say about the americans bombing it doesn't tell you it's 2001 no and i think that would have been useful to know at the end you know even at the very end to come up this is you know late 2001 so you see where it fits in within history. Yeah, but I think the other point is you had all those tanks, but they lived like people from the Middle Ages. Mm. You know, well, yeah. that's what the Taliban wants. Yeah, exactly. They power. want to go back to they want to control, go back. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Any fundamentalist religion. Yes, exactly. You know, yes. there are uh, there's a lot of religion in this world that deals. I know we're way off the point now. <laughs> that deals with openness and, inclusi- and, and yeah. inclusivity. Yeah. It's these religions that has this exclusivity, totally intolerant of anybody that wants to be different. I think that's what comes it's into absolute this. absolute control, isn't it? So yeah, nobody can yeah. argue. I like the word intolerance, because that's what most of mm. it is. They're just, you know, oh, no, sorry, you're deviating from the uh, way we see the world, therefore you're bad. Yes. Well, hang on, I'm just different, you know, and that's we'd, it. We'd struggle, wouldn't we? <laughs> we, we would definitely struggle. <laughs> Okay, onwards to sixth place. Ha Avengers Infinity War. Okay, I know what you're thinking. A big superhero <laughs> Marvel movie. Graham has gone all Empire on us and voted this as his favourite film. No, although all three of us voted for it, it was Jeff who gave it the highest score. Bizarrely. Yeah, Jeff, the hater of all superhero films. What impressed you about this, uh, another film I reviewed earlier in, in the year? I think what impressed me about this film and why at the end of it, it was probably the only superhero film I could still have any memories of, (laughs) is the darkness around it. That the whole thing of this film is about these characters facing up to their own dark sides and having to deal with something that's outside of their control. It had a villain that's essentially a CGI character, but that CGI character worked. Mm -hmm. He, He felt flesh and blood. There were shades of grey in what he was trying to do. You, you could listen to it and think, yeah, see what your point is. You yeah. might not agree with the means you're doing this, but I see I see the point of it. And all of that made for a very interesting setup and bringing together these characters. And the dialogue was just crisp and fun. You know, when you got actors like Rob Downey Jr. and Benedict Cumberpatch together, yeah. the interplay between them was just superb. I really enjoyed the bit with Tom Holland in the mix of... Dominic Cumberbatch and uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. He, that three-way was just really well done, really I mean, funny. He's, he's, to, to be able to stand up to those oh, two, he did extremely he, well. well yeah. He's, uh, yeah. he's a talent to watch. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And and I liked... I mean, I, I know I did it in my review in, earlier in the year. I still think it's... Having watched it a couple of times since, I think it's 
really so well done. It's so pared down to the bone. You know, the pacing, it, they hit all the steps. It, I mean, it never stops. It and just keeps going and going. And to have yeah. a certain amount so that every yeah. single one had something yeah. that they could relate to part of the film yeah. they were and 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 they're all pretty much a-list actors yes were. Yeah. a lot of them are a-list actors but it didn't all feel their, like that it, it didn't, didn't. No, no you're right you're right i mean i didn't have this high up my list but um yeah it, yeah. it just simply because i kept thinking well how are they going to do the second film and um, and, and therein is the one problem here is the fact that you've got a film which you know wouldn't it have been great if how this film ends is how they go on from here all those characters really are dead. And you know it's not going to... Hell, they're on making films already with some of these characters yeah. that are dead. Yeah. So you know they're all coming back. How brilliant it would have been to say, actually, we are going to jettison all those characters and just carry on with these. Yeah. This is still Disney, and that is a money-marking machine. Oh, yeah. As I'm, a I'm, product uh, sorry, of an evil I'm, empire. I'm going to go back to my comic book roots and say, nobody dies in comic books. No. You know? I'm just reading... No. Stan Lee did. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. Ouch. harsh, harsh! Too soon, Jeff. Too soon. Yeah, Suicide Squad pretty much bombed as well. Uh, yeah, well, that was from the other team. That yes. was DC, oh, the better right. side. <laughs> the better side. I don't see the difference. No, because they're. I mean, one's Warner Brothers and one's Disney, and not, that's it. Not with this, because this had the darkness that the DC comics do have. And I think because of that, this one works much, much better. A lot of them are light and fluffy. I know, I know yeah. what you mean. But it uh, was extremely good. I wasn't going to put it into my top ten. I, I tried to get Mission Impossible Fallout, but uh, I had to keep putting that in. It's just this. Every time I think about it, I think, how are they going to go on next one? The second film is a concern. Yeah. And reality. Every time <clears throat> you start putting reality into it, mm. you know, 9-11... Um, financial crash straight afterwards and that was um, several thousand people three billion people die and mm. we go back into the dark ages yeah nobody everybody's saying well, yeah it'll be 30 years and it'll be back to up to four billion no dark ages there is there is no survival um, um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes finally on this i would say at least you know with us it's an honest opinion. Not like Empire Magazine, oh. Dick gets hard at the main <laughs> Marvel. Yeah, right. well, well done. Okay. Yeah. okay, onwards to the first of two films in joint fourth place, The Shape of Water. This year's Oscar-winning feature and another masterpiece from Guillermo del Toro. A riff on the Creature from the Black Lagoon story, which is essentially a fable about accepting people who are different to you. I said in my review that it didn't work emotionally for me, However, on all other levels, this is a fantastic and absorbing film. Graham and I both rated it highly. Neil, it didn't make your top ten. What didn't work for you in this film? It's an honourable mention, as Graham would put it. Um, it's technically superb. I just didn't engage so well. The more I think about it and first saw it and first reviewed it, it's uh, just got to the end and I thought, OK, that was good. I mean, I'd visually stunning. Yeah. Yeah, but it didn't quite make my top ten. I'm afraid. Yeah, that color palette is just incredible. Yes, I think the, the greens and the greens everywhere. Yeah. Is, is it's not often you get to say the um, the set dressing was like top marks. You know, yes, set dressing, yeah. but it was Absolutely. really really good. And then the and cinematography on top of it and the lighting and and, and Sally Hawkins again and, and Sally, Sally Hawkins, Hawkins again. Yes, 
Can she do a bad film? Yeah. No, no, no. She just made a Welsh film, so that's bound to be good. Um, <laughs> it's obviously the missing ingredient, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I thought she was great. I loved the the creature. Perfectly well done. The guy who lives in the room next to her as well. You never really know what's going on there. Is he the narrator of it? Is it all well, in his he, imagination? He is, the, he is the narrator because yeah. he starts it. But is I said his story. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- you know, there's, there's an argument, and I've I've read this, and I think I do think this is an interesting way to take it. Is other than his attempts to pick up other men, and this is in the fifties, which of course led to the trouble that he ended up in. Yeah, nothing else is true, and it's his way of trying to find acceptance mm. when he has no acceptance. Or even as another version, is that the moment the ending goes from his vision that's what he makes up because mm. he can't see in the water so he has no idea mm. what you know the creature does to the woman after she falls in the water assuming the creature was stolen and then where they yeah. just invented mm. that yeah. whole thing yeah exactly and and, and it works you know it, it's so it's a piece in itself i think is really good but as a piece about storytelling it's also really good mm. yeah. Uh, yeah i enjoy i thoroughly enjoyed it i thought it was great great okay Shall we move on? Let's go to the second of joint fourth place films, Bad Times at El Royale. Now, I reviewed this and I didn't feel came up to the qualities found in my top ten picks. It's a clever film written and directed by Drew Goddard and set at the end of the 1960s. For me, it loses its way in the final act. As, as you guys rated this film very highly, I'm assuming you don't agree with me, seeing as it's number four. Uh, is that correct? As always, Neil, as always. Um, <laughs> I, I just think this is, for me, the biggest surprise of the year. Yeah. I didn't expect to see it. I mean, we had a week in October where I saw Star is Born, this, and Venom. And I also really enjoyed mm. Venom, though it wasn't up there in the top ten because it's a superhero film and it <laughs> drops. But this, I thought, was just tremendous. Uh, the, the assurance he, he made this film with, mm. you know, what it's about, it's a reflection on the 60s. There's little mysteries within the film as well for you to work out. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, and there's that one scene where if you watch it in the cinema, it'd be interesting to see how it works at home, there's that one scene where everybody jumps. Yes. Yes. I left my seat. It yes, was brilliant. It was, it was, um, yeah. And it came out of nowhere. Absolutely yes. nowhere. You know, it wasn't in our... We, we yeah. went through all the films we were looking forward to in January of this year and it wasn't on anybody's radar and it, it just, as far as I'm yeah. concerned, it appeared on a poster in the cinema and, that's yeah. the, and I thought, what's that? And wow, that's a bit of a cast. And then went in to see it with no expectations, not even low expectations and was just thoroughly knocked out. Yeah. I, I think for me, when I went to see it, because I knew Drew Goddard's work from Cabin in the Woods, mm. and we had this discussion with Lucy in the past, I like Cabin in the Woods. I think it's a very clever, almost like an essay on where modern horror is at the moment. But you need to understand a couple of things outside of the film for the ending to work. This doesn't need that. If you bring stuff, as we've all got knowledge of the 60s, mm. Christ, we were all there. Um, you know, you there, can speak for yourself. yourself. <laughs> you, know, you, can, you can bring that... You can bring that knowledge into this film and it just gives you a little bit more resonance. Yeah. But I think if you haven't got that, it still doesn't matter. Yeah. It still mm. works as a film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I say, and all the performances were just fantastic. Yeah, And a great story and lovely pacing and lots and lots of little things in there as well. For, for when you watch it on download or DVD mm. or whatever, you'll be able to pick out lots and lots of little references because it was very well put together, very cleverly put together. Yeah, I think... 
of all the films in this top ten, mm. and, and it didn't make number one on my list, but of all the films, it's the one I'm most looking forward to watching again. Yeah, mm. me too. Yeah, it is fairly recent, so you do have it clear in your memory. Where mm. some of them, in you know, at our age, maybe, um, maybe <laughs> last week, February, February, <laughs> March, you maybe forget. But uh, yeah. But the number one will show that's wrong. Right, time for our top three. And at number three, First Man, the story of Neil Armstrong and the race for the moon was my film of the year. Greatly helped by watching this stunning film in one of the largest IMAX screens in Europe. My review summed this up a couple of months ago. Simply a masterpiece. Both Neil and I rated this highly. Jeff, this didn't make your top ten. What didn't work for you? I think what didn't work for me is Armstrong himself because he's such a difficult character and I know Gosling Gosling I I don't think you can change the fact that Armstrong was a difficult difficult character character. and that makes that difficult to get in I once went to um, a talk on on astronauts and space travel and they said we need these people who are just unflappable in all sorts of conditions Mm. and that's great that's what you need but they're not the most interesting of people are they and I think with Armstrong that was the case here for a lot of it. It didn't emotionally engage with me, and but everybody it, around him was had, a, had a, a, a vested interest in him. He was the he's the poster boy for aeronautics. He was everything that they wanted in an astronaut, and, and, and that it just it it kind of we had to have that bit about him. Now we have to show what he's like. I mean, and remind yeah, everybody yeah. that this was a brave man who really had no problems throwing his body into the probably the most scary thing that's ever been yeah. done on this planet. So, so let's take a, uh, a point out of that. In fact, I've got two points to make. The first point is, yes, he's a projection, a projection of an all-American hero. And emotionally, he was lacking, he was lacking in real life. But what that made for Armstrong in real life was if you were a kid at the end of the 60s and landed on the moon as as we were, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made him more of a hero because you could project yourself onto him because mm-hmm. there was nothing there. It's not like a temperamental footballer, say. You projected your image onto him, so that's the hero that he became. And I think that's great in real life. I think for a two-hour-plus film where the character is a vacuum emotionally, it makes it difficult. I would also pick up on the point that when we reviewed this, Philip's comments keep coming back to mind, and I thought <laughs> yes. that was a very boys. yeah boys with toys, Which and I is that was true. very yeah. And yes. again, it comes to to this projection of you know when you're a kid, you look at these things in a different way. You mm. see them as heroes, that when you examine them in more detail when you're older, it doesn't have that same appeal, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what I would say the real plus on this film, other than the cinema we saw it in, which is fantastic. Yeah is the way it puts you into those craft. You know, when the, oh, yeah, the when noise, the yes, soundscape was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. It was almost uncomfortable, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, it was uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It was, there was no space, it was the noise, it no. was the rattling. Yeah, And, and nothing, nowhere better is that than in the Gemini space mission. Yeah. When that's mm. taken off, you would normally have cut away to the outside of the spaceship, cut back in to see how they're doing, and cuts back and forth. There's no cutaway no. to outside. No. You're solidly in there with these guys. And you it don't know what's happening. You, you don't have no know idea if it's gone up. On. You don't yeah. know if yeah. it's exploding. You know nothing. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that, the nuts and bolts of the industry is brilliant. But I said at the time, I, I think Chazelle, the director, 
is a great director as long as it doesn't involve emotion. And that's why Whiplash to me is his best film because the two main characters are both morally both reprehensible. And they're, they're two disgusting characters as well. They're, you know, yeah. he, he likes... Armstrong's probably the, the, the wrong person for him. Yeah, absolutely, I agree, because Armstrong is very much uh, just a cog in the machine. He's The mission is so important to him, and he's, you know, a highly trained, highly specialised person. He doesn't have any emotional depth. No, he's almost he's, as an unemotional as the yeah, rocket. Exactly, itself. yeah, and and he and he deliberately sets his mind on the um, on the mission and is not interested in any. You know, the the press the the press scenes are excellent. Were really good for me. Whether you know they say to him, "Well, what about this?" and he just says, "Well, the mission's going to succeed. We just, yes. We're not expecting anything <laughs> to happen because we're just got." And he's just totally dogmatic. And if you're going to land on the moon. In the 60s, using World War II technology, that's probably the attitude yeah. you need. Yes, but. But, but I think you've got the double whammy there of an unemotional character mm. with a director who cannot yeah. find emotion, yeah. and that is what detracted. It's a great film, I don't doubt that at all. It just didn't engage emotionally, and a film like this should engage you emotionally. Yeah. No, I um, pushed all my nerd buttons, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. So with the tension building, what's going to be our number one? Let's go to our second best film of 2018, Journey's End. Now, this was my film of the year. It's the subject to an excellent podcast short we put out last month. Well, we're tracking down if you haven't heard it. It's the latest screen version of R.C. Sharif's World War I story. It's brutal, although there is little violence on screen. It has an all-star cast, led by Sam Claflin, which make this an unforgettable experience. Neil and I rated this highly. Graham, you didn't put this in your top ten. What was about this film that didn't work for you? No, okay. No spaceships. <laughs> no spaceships. No. It is an absolutely stunning film. And it's one of those that just haunts you. It's also horrible. You know, the whole subject matter is horrible. The way we treated people in the First World War. These people, unbelievable heroes. And I, I, love, I loved it, but it just didn't get into my top ten. It's, again, another honourable mention. But... You know, the the more I think about it, it's probably would have crept back into my top ten now because it, it just there's constantly things when I'm thinking and I'm thinking back and going actually yeah that's I was thinking the other day about the underground overground the the fact that all of the dramatic action happens underground yeah and then every time they come up they just get shot at and massacred mm. and and things are terrible and then they go back down underground and it's even worse there and then it's just. The whole existence and the, and the the lack of empathy from the senior generals and the, the you know oh, the, all be. of that it just it you know it's one of those films it takes months to unpick in your head because it's just like it's just like being machine gunned in the face and you think oh I can't take any more of this here's these wonderful people and they're all really there for the best of moral reasons they think the Germans are. Uh, are a horror and we have to stop them and we're go- we're doing our best and then you realize that this is just all nonsense they're dug in these little holes in the ground fighting over 60 feet of soil for no good reason because some archduke was shot you know who the hell cares why did we lose millions of people for such nonsense and and the generals had no idea what they're doing they were still fighting you know based on the Hundreds of years ago, they didn't understand machine guns. 
yeah, it was just horrible. And the poor guy slowly uh, going mad underground was just heart-wrenching. And then part where Sam Coughlin had to write to his best friend's wife and include his watch in the envelope. And it was just, like, heart-wrenching. And you thought, what was all of that for? They capture that German guy to get information out of him. They pull the information out of his coat pocket where he's written it all down. And, what, half a dozen men died for that? And uh, yeah. and the other reason is the only reason that mission took place is the generals wanted to make sure they were well away from the front lines oh, yeah, when the assault came. Bloody cowards, you know, and it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm generalising there about the, the generals. I'm sure there were some good, but it doesn't I can seem... See, I can see Rhys Mogg and Johnson standing <gasps> over them in the trenches, egg, egging them on, to be I quite honest. Exactly. Yeah, so it, the, the, yeah, it was just... One of those films that, you know, if you're going to go and watch this, and I'd advise everybody to watch it, it's it's emotionally damaging, you know. I think it's on Netflix at the moment, isn't it? It is on Netflix. But, Neil, what did you think of... I mean, for me, one of the other things that were balancing this was the humour. Toby Jones and Stephen Graham, I thought they were really good. And yes. Rye one line So yes. British, you know. <laughs> we're being pounded by bombs, but we're going to make jokes about custard and stuff and like that. And, and the tea. And the tea. And what would you like? Would you like tea? And, and it, the... Will it taste like tea? No. <laughs> it's a bit oniony. Yeah. It's a bit oniony. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's uh, a yeah. major crisis because they thought they had pineapple and it turns out to be a tin of peaches <laughs> <laughs> paul bettany is is superb as a sort of voice of reason the uncle the, only, the hmm? uncle almost the uncle yes yeah, the, yeah. the only pe- person keeping captain stanhope or, 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 or sam claflin reasonably sane and suddenly he dies and you see him disappearing to this despair it is. It is very. Um, it's sad, but there are funny moments in it. The futility of war and everything. Oh yeah, it's, it's just. It's yeah. just yeah. yeah, in this tiny, like microcosm of yeah, the yeah. of the First World War. Yeah, and, um, and it's sad to think that there are people out there still to this day, like World War Two, think it's our finest hour. It was nobody's finest hour. Nobody. That nobody's particular wasn't. It was no. an absolute and utter waste of time, and the repercussions that came out of it. You know, with the the, um, be no the Versailles Agreement, yeah. yeah, and and the the war reparations that triggered all the hatred in Germany, yeah, really well done. Even when yeah. you get peace, it's it just it's just storing up trouble for the future. Yeah, and the, and the, to to be watched really with they shall not grow old. Oh God, uh, yeah. which um, extends it to a far wider uh, group of actors, mm. if you like, of uh, of people giving their reminiscences. That's yeah. another hard watch. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, yeah. you took two goes. Yeah. I Three goes. I struggled with that. I two. Really struggled with that. I, was... did, I haven't got to the end. Haven't you? No. Oh, jeez. You get through the trench foot. That's yeah. horrible. That was the bit that to me. The ending bit it. is the bit where I started welling up. Yeah. It's just horrible. You either well up or you end up shouting at the screen because it's just, what the hell were they doing? Yeah. Mm. Okay, it's a great film. As you can see, the, the anger and the tension is still in <laughs> yes, all our voices. Indeed. Let's yeah. pass over to Neil for sanity at this point. And the best film of 2018 is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Amazingly, we're all in agreement on this one. Martin McDonagh's film is deceptive. You think you're watching a whodunit, but in fact it's a study of grief. A cast at the top of their game, stunning performances all around and one shocking twist... In the divided world we now live in, 
This is an important film with a message about listening to all. Guys, your thoughts? It, it is a tremendous film. Brilliantly acted. Woody Harrelson, I think, possibly the best performance I've ever seen him give. Sam Rockwell, yet again, shows why he's one of the best actors of his generation. Mm. Francis McDormand, who doesn't do that many films, but again, it's tremendous. It's, it's an incredible part. And what I liked about it is you've got this hard, cold surface, a lot of it covering up the grief and the guilt that she feels. But every now and again, you see that surface crumble and you see the person of compassion that's underneath who's been beaten down by life. And I thought, again, amazing. I'm glad, so glad she was the best actress. Connection, uh, the, the discussions, and uh, at any time, Frances McDormand and Woody Harrelson are yeah. on screen talking. Yeah. It's fantastic. You can't and take you your just, eye off them. You no, really, yeah. you just like focused. I know. Yeah, just yeah. And and you do see that compassion coming out, and yeah. actually. Both of them are quite realistic characters, which a lot of the others aren't. Mm. And, and I think part of the criticism of this film that that's since generated, it goes back to that comment you said about listening to all, is the fact that people don't like this film. There, it, there was a lot of pushback in the Oscars. We said, well, you've got a racist who acts in a good way in the end. Well, yes, because every person is multifaceted. Yes. And you need to look at that. You need to look yeah. at how you connect with these people. If not... We're, we're all led into a bad place. And it, it was out earlier in the year, obviously. January. January. Yeah. So it, when you when you see these um, reviews, the top ten films, you usually get the November and the October yep. and, the, and maybe a few July, August. Um, no, we, we still think in nearly 12 months later yeah. that uh, it's the best film of the year. Yeah, the, the problem is a lot of film critics get to see this stuff the year before. Yeah. But we are like, yes. you know hardcore marines we see our films when they come out so you know when when we say to people it was in this year we did see it in this year yeah and a point on the best film and our top 10 list is that um, because we're in gloucestershire we don't get to see the films like roma shoplifters that the like you just of... you're just sticking the knife in now and twisting it it I, is i am it's... so cheesed off they have cleaned that up um, that we didn't get Roma or Shoplifters. Yeah, you know, I, just... Lucy and Phil have been mentioning films that we didn't get to see. And Yeah, but you know, Lucy's got that thing in London, and I know, you know the thing that we have is we have a number of cinemas immediately around us. Yes. But, but they don't have as much say as they want. They'll, you know, they'll be sure six they... months after us, won't yeah. they, the, uh, the, yeah. the, the niche cinemas, such as The Breadwinner, which is on tonight in yep. the... Uh, Stroud Film Society. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought Sam Rockwell's character was brilliant. I really, really liked his character because he was just horrible. You know, yes. and you do, and you spent most of the movie wanting to punch him. Then it's you started to say, Oh, hang on a minute, this is what we actually see, this rough, abrasive, racist nutcase is not really what we see. And you, it was you then, see him learn. Yeah. You see him learn from the fire, from the guy alongside him in the bed who he yeah. put you know in the yeah. hospital who he yeah. put there. Yeah. And he learns. Yeah, oh, yeah. In addition, his um his worldview was very, very narrow and small and, and he slowly starts to widen it out because he sees everybody as a you know, as a criminal or, or got about to commit a crime and he slowly learns that, Oh hang on, that I did that and that was the result of that and then he starts to realise that there is a bigger world out there and there's but, lots of stuff like Woody Harlson again, you think, Oh right, he's a straight up lazy cop and then there's that amazing piece in the middle and you think, Oh right, okay, wow, didn't see that no, coming no, at all. But no. 
But with the exception of the Woody Harrelson character in that film, everybody else in that film would have voted for Trump. (laughs) The whole point is, is you see the Sam Rockwell character change. Hmm. But what you also see is why he's like that. Look at his mother. I mean, many people have drawn comparisons with this film to Psycho because there's that small backwater area nobody travels through, a boy and his mother, and it's how you pass that down. You are taught by your parents to become certain things. Your beliefs might change. More often than not, they won't. But that's, that's, that's the, the brilliance of the director, the reveals. You know, you start with one view of every character and then well, a little bit more gets revealed and a little bit more. And then you go, oh, actually, he's not that. He's, oh, actually, she, oh, my God, did she really say that? But, and it constantly, it's like a spider's web. It just sort of fans out across but everything. Part, but part of that is... When he's at home, his mother's constantly drip-feeding him, you're rubbish, you can't do this, that she should be beaten up, she should be shot. The moment he's broken out of that environment, the moment he's in that hospital, and he learns the implications of action he's taken, and he learns that you know maybe there is a better way, then you see him mature and grow. And I think that's the power of this film, that we're still debating it 12 Mm. months later, and and seeing other things in it, you know. And, and that's where the Trump analogy comes into it. Because I think most of those characters would have voted because they live in that small backwater. He's offering them the snake oil, as James yep. O'Brien would say, and they all buy it because it's easy for them to it's understand. Easy, yeah, right. True. Yeah. I still don't think she would have gone for it. but I think, I think she, she would. I know. She's so. a more tough, realistic character. Okay, well, let me pull this to a conclusion. That's our top ten films of the year. But we all had lots and lots of other films in our lists that uh, we didn't get to mention. It's been a brilliant year. I think it's been one of the best years I can ever remember. We've, I had, as I said, 21 films that had four stars or more in my list. And I was really, really impressed with this year. Jeff? It's been okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it's been good. I mean, It's not 1979, is that what you're going to say? <laughs> No, 78. 78 is the best year for films. <laughs> Nothing's ever come close. And um, 1971 for music. Nothing's ever come close. Uh, yeah. 78 in British cinemas had Star Wars, Close Encounters and Superman the movie. Oh, that's a good three. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there are too many superhero films. I think I've said that all the way through the year. I might have mentioned it once or twice. But there are. And 2019 doesn't look like it's going to be any bloody different. Brilliant. Um, yeah, great. Bring it on. But... <laughs> Yeah, you know, what I what I like is we have taken time this year to travel a little to see smaller films in different yeah. venues. Yes, Stroud Film Society has been quite useful for some of the stuff they've got coming up. That Lucky you, was very good when we went down to Bristol. Lucky for was that. fantastic, Neil. I really <laughs> okay. enjoyed that as well. Do you remember early on I said that Jeff, you're a bastard. I've yeah. got you've got your little friend now. <laughs> um, but no, we saw. I've never been to the to, to the to the watershed before, so I yeah. thought that was quite good. Yeah, was a good trip. I wish I'd yeah. thrown you in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I popped to London every yeah. now and again to see a film. Yeah, um, and you've got to look Stroud, at the wide the range. Roses, yeah, 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 yeah. And you've got to look at Netflix. Netflix and Amazon, particularly Netflix, really, uh, has got an interesting range of films that are on there and knocking it out of the park. Really, Netflix yes. are. I mean. Yeah, yeah. I've just watched um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo based on Neil's recommendation in the original Swedish and I'm going to watch the other two, yeah. Quality films, really, mm. really quality films. Yeah. Okay. Neil, how would you sum the year up? Um, 
a lot more films than I usually watch, and obviously I have to start thinking about them hell of a lot more um, <laughs> because Jeff challenges every time I don't get it right. Damn him! I'm just and trying to educate. Educate me, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and honestly, I thought it was one of the better uh, years. We started off with a blistering um, three billboards. And it just uh, carried on. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm seeing more films. Maybe uh, we had the Mission Impossible Fallout, the best of the Mission Impossible films. That yeah. We've had, oh, uh, yeah. We had that the, wasn't even in our list. No, it's number 11 for me. Um, Incredible. I mean, where had, did they go from here? That's no, it, I think. No, no, I, I, Ready Player One, then um, uh, Deadpool 2 and uh, Avengers, uh, that number 20. Uh, Black, Marvel pa- Black Panther was Black Panther brilliant. we didn't put in there either. No, um, with good reason. <laughs> Jeff didn't like it. <laughs> I, no, brilliant, brilliant. I, I honestly thought this was a, a really good year. And, of course, we're doing this as well. Two buddies. Yes. Uh, one buddy and Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Carry on. And on that note, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's it, our combined top ten of the year. If you are interested in seeing our individual li- lists, please let us know and I will add them to our future show notes. As for next month and our first show of 2019, Neil will be reviewing Stan and Ollie. Jeff will be reviewing The Front Runner. And Graham will be reviewing Glass, the sequel to Unbreakable and Split. Okay, that music means it's time for the quiz to end all quizzes. That's the one I do. So, let's have our end of year quiz and something a little different this month. We have reviewed many films throughout the year, but let's see if you can guess from these lines from our reviews exactly what films we're talking about. There's four questions in all. Question one. Graham called this movie his favourite of the year and also said the challenge of this movie is how do you build drama and suspense about a well-documented historical event? What's the film? And we've already given you a good clue earlier. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Number two. Here's an extract from one of my rants, as Neil would call them. Without doubt, one of the biggest disappointments of the year. Unless, of course, you were a left-wing leaning middle-class newspaper, at which point you'd call it a masterpiece. There's just so many to choose from, really. (laughs) We're accepting answers from... 15 films, any one of 15 films. films. (laughs) What film am I talking about? (laughs) Number three. Neil finally caught up with a film Graham and I had seen many times. Here is an extract from Neil's review to help you guess the film's title. It's easy to criticise a film from 1968. It is slow in places, but maybe it's because we are used to the lightning fast paces of Marvel and DC, etc. What is the film? Question four. And think about this and think about who's asking it. It's not about a film. Who won the sports movie (laughs) debate? Good luck. Answers next time. (laughs) So, gentlemen, I think I can safely announce that's a wrap. And another At The Flicks is in the can. So it only remains for us to say... I'm off to a New Year's Eve Gibson movie marathon with Graham. (laughs) See you next time. Happy Gallipoli, Chicken Run, Year of Living Dangerously, is that... 
All the Mad Maxes. Oh, right, okay. Fantastic. I hope you have all the Lethal Weapon films. Is Braveheart included? Oh, one of my favourites. <laughs> but it's either that or a Gerard Butler movie marathon, Graham. <laughs> so which do you want? That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, God almighty. The worst thing possible. Right, okay. And for everyone else, thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening and, and goodbye. goodbye.